I started listening to uh, Midwest Emo today because <laughs> Elijah mentioned it the other day. <laughs> and then I started listening to some of it and I actually really like it. Wait, is this a band or a style? Yeah. No, no, no. It's like a, it's a genre. Midwest, Midwest Emo? Midwest Emo. Yeah, it's a genre of Corn, music. Corn, it makes me sad. <laughs> 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 yep, that's it. <laughs> No hills. <laughs> I don't like that. Ample <laughs> waves of grain. <laughs> Boo. Welcome to this week's edition of For the Love of the Frame. I'm your host, Tim, and sitting here to my left is the man who wakes up every morning with a cup of coffee and smashes a donut before writing in his <laughs> <Yeah>. throat. <laughs> Ian. I thought you were just going to say coffee and a smoothie, which is... The gross smoothie. Yeah. It's not a gross smoothie. Well, he says it's a gross smoothie. Oh, yeah. That's he true. That's that. true. Did you watch the movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. I, I just it's gross. I was just trying to remember what he put in it. It was green, so it a had lot to be gross. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. If you put... Okay, anyway. He looks way too healthy for fine. a good tasting smoothie. <laughs> you can't really taste the spinach if you put it in there. Well, how do you know it was spinach? I don't know. I, I'm just saying just in general, you can make a smoothie that will be green because of spinach, but you can't really taste the spinach. Okay. Well, also That's with us is Aaron, <laughs> who just eats donuts. He doesn't have to destroy them. There's no need to smash them. No need to smash them. <laughs> I disagree. I think agree to disagree on this one, probably. <laughs> he does smash it and then kind of recreates yeah. it. And gives a second. Yeah. 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 I, I was like, I can kind of put myself there like a smush donut where it's like denser and chewier might mm. actually taste better. I mean, I know he was doing it for emotional reasons, <laughs> but I actually thought he was, you but know, also because accomplishing it's you know, two, two birds with one stone, yeah. you know, <laughs> might've been just his artistic personality coming out too. Like maybe he wanted to mold the donut into <laughs> who says the donut has to be round. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the freedom. It was a free yeah. space. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's, was one. I wonder if anybody could guess yeah. the movie that we were talking yeah. about based on that. You're like, that's what you get? Uh, we're, we're talking about the, the 2019 film Sound of Metal, uh, written and directed by Darius Martyr, um, M-A-R-D-E-R. Uh, he, or I guess it was co-written by um, Derek C. in France, who I think started this as a a film or a project and then abandon it. Uh, he's writing partners with Martyr and Martyr. This was his directorial debut and he, he kind of saw the concept through. Um, the film was nominated or won two Oscars, uh, one for best sound and for best editing. Uh, the sound one I think is especially well-deserved. Uh, it was nominated for best actor with uh, Riz Ahmed um, and then best supporting actor, uh, Paul Racy, who played Joe. And so, um, yeah, this is a movie uh, I was telling the guys uh, before we went live. I can't wait to talk about this movie. I love this movie. Not just, and there's movies I love, but some movies I think are hard to talk about. This one, I feel like I could go on and on and on. So brace yourself, fellas, because an onslaught's coming. It's going to be a long one. <laughs> in honor of this movie, I'll be doing the podcast in sign language. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> It's just good podcasting right there. Just, I think that's something. I don't know. Yeah. 
I noticed the middle Eric's finger just translates. Doing hook yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just doing hook yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I actually, Ian, I'm especially curious because you and I, I think the first time we both saw this was, I don't know, maybe a year, yeah, I think year like and a so year, ago. Yeah, a year and a half ago, yeah. Um, year and a few months. And the movie ended and I was just completely taken by it and, and you were the turd in the punch bowl and just <laughs> what? was not having, saying? yes, it is to me. That's a, <laughs> you got to go to more parties. Yeah. yeah. That's a horrible <laughs> image. Wow. You got to get yeah. out more. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to get out. That's why I don't get out. I don't want to encounter things like that. Well, contrary to your image as a fun guy, we, <laughs> We uh, we had a sharp disagreement. Yeah, we did. I, re I remember that. And it's affected famously, my view of you ever since. Famously, we had a We did. It was famous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's a Wikipedia article. It's a Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, the great dissension. <laughs> so I am. I I'm battle ready for this podcast, okay. but I'm also uh -huh. curious to see, you know, now that you are a year older and <laughs> presumably at least partially a year wiser. Mm. I just want to see if you've closed the gap and have come to appreciate the, the brilliance that is this film. Yeah. Uh, so I'll say high level. I do appreciate it. I appreciate what it's doing. I think it does some things really well. Um, but I, I do think that there are some things where it, it kind of misses. And I think that's what I was picking up on. Cause I, I get the message. I like it. I think, I think it's done fairly well and I think it is impactful. But yeah, there are some small things that kind of bug me just with the way that they tell the story. Is it the tattoos? Yeah, it's the tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> it's the way that he makes the smoothie in the morning. <laughs> also the donut abuse. The don that is hard <laughs> yeah, to get past. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't support donut abuse. I see. <laughs> but yeah, so I have some, it's hard because I don't want to nitpick everything, but it, I think it did take away from the overall impact. And that's what the first time I watched it, since it was all hitting me, I was trying to parse out the things that I liked about it and the things that didn't land as much. And I think I was able to do that more where I, I felt like I appreciated, I, I appreciated it more this time for what it was, but I think I was also able to pinpoint more of the things that I felt like didn't land quite as much for me. So I'd be interested to see if you guys thought ready. the that's same thing. I'm ready. That's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Aaron? What was your initial when you first saw this? Yeah, I loved everything about this movie except the name Ruben Stone. Just was like <laughs> a record scratch to me. Like I remember being totally lost in this movie in the scene where he says his name's Ruben Stone. I'm like, it's like a bad action movie <laughs> yeah. star name. Like, and it really did like yank me out of reality for, or not reality, yank me into reality for a second. Like, what am I watching? Why, why is his name Ruben Stone? It was distracting, but. That aside, I'm, uh, you know, I'm willing to forgive that. I think this is an excellent movie. Yeah, no, I, um, you know, I was just saying, Ian and I watched it fairly. I remember watching it before the, the awards season. So I, I definitely, whenever that time frame was, and I just, I found it to be very, um, very dialed in, very, poignant and unique in what it was saying. And, and I'll certainly go into that more as we develop um, and dive into the movie more. But I think um, just technically speaking first, it, it's such an interesting movie, the way they handle sound and they're telling a story, but they're also trying to immerse you in a story, particularly from the point of view of someone who 
you know, is suffering sudden ear or hearing loss. And I think that like really stayed with me. And then, you know, I just recently watched it in preparation for, for this podcast. And the same thing just, just stood out to me, just the way the, the ringing and, and the, you know, some of the discordant notes and, and the muffled and, and the sharp, you know, sounds. And um, yeah, I don't know. I was curious uh, just how you guys, just the technical side of, of how they handle audio or even other technical aspects of the film. Uh, I think it's a big part of, of a lot of those are intentional choices, I think, in service of, of the story. And, and it was ultimately re- recognized by the Oscars. But curious, like, what are some of the insights or takeaways you guys take uh, on the, the technical side? Yeah, actually, I did. I was thinking the same thing. I wrote down in my notebook the sounds are very intentional throughout the entire movie. And it, it did. that. Uh, I didn't know that it won the Oscar for that, but that doesn't surprise me. It, it is very well done. And it just feels very intentional. Like it feels like that is something that they did spend a lot of time on and they wanted pretty much everything that you hear to be to really help with the storytelling. And I think they pulled that off. I think they did mm-hmm. it really well. It comes across well. Yeah, I guess... In- I agree with all that. I, I really enjoyed the sound, and I guess in this thread of uh, just appreciating like the, the craft, the filmmaking mm-hmm. here, the the acting, uh, Riz Ahmed, the way he's using his face and his eyes and his body language, and like it's incredible, and it really, it really um, was an amazing performance, and he's he's so uh, not subdued, but just. The way he's reacting to, I guess, intense scenarios, intense situations, um, it felt very human and it Mm -hmm. didn't feel like this kind of movie, because it's so emotional and it's so, it's such like heavy loss for a person. um, I would have understood maybe some kind of like overacting or really Mm -hmm. emphasizing the emotional kind of outbursts. And he has some of those, we've joked about smashing the donut, but even that was like a really powerful moment in the movie but then he has these other moments where he's just so subdued and he's, he just looks defeated and like crushed mm-hmm. and he's every scene is not just him like like raging mm-hmm. and I thought it was a great performance yeah it's interesting you say that because I agree wholeheartedly just the ability to communicate with just his eyes and the way he, he looks is he's this really muscled up dude and he's got tattoos everywhere he's a punk rock drummer and that like his eyes could could show vulnerability and pain even while the character wasn't trying to mm-hmm. signal pain or you know right. he, he was trying to be strong he was trying to hide and, mm-hmm. and camouflage in a lot of parts of the film his emotions and being able to, to nail that line um it felt very authentic because that's how people are mm-hmm. but you really have to that's very high level acting and I was reading, um, just, you know, I always like to read up about the, the movies we do. And um, I had read that he actually got um, some kind of like hearing inhibitors implanted, mm-hmm. like deep in his ear canal oh. that completely blocked out. So he couldn't even hear his own voice hmm. just so he could get into it. He took, I think, six months to learn the the sign language. Hmm. Um, uh, is it ASL? I think American mm-hmm. Sign Language. Yeah. Um, and... Like really, you know, just the way actors often do, but like really mm-hmm. threw himself in. But it's not just like, oh, look at the cool stuff Riz Ahmed did. It's 
in doing that and in, in intentionally like interfering with his own hearing and, and really getting to that place of living like someone who is hearing impaired, um, he was saying it made him a better communicator because when you do sign mm-hmm. language, you are having to emote and communicate. You don't have, you know, the, the way most people can communicate just verbally. And so you have to really almost enunciate and act with like you're getting across ideas. So, you, you know, you have to be on the hand signals. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're going all in. It's, it's like this head to toe communication way. And it, he was just noticing that about himself, uh, even when he took the implants out and, and was able to hear again. He, I don't think he did the whole movie with with the blockers, but he, it just that effect carried over, um, which I thought was was interesting because I think you see it in, in the performance. They like, give it like a, a note of authenticity. Yeah, he is. He does a really really good job, and like what you were saying of the the way that he shows the vulnerability, but as somebody who's not trying to show vulnerability and he's like reacting to people and you can tell he's kind of thinking one thing, but he's really, you know, but he's trying to put on this show or like put on this face and he does that really well. It feels, it does feel very human. It feels Mm. extremely real. I really liked the guy who played Joe too. Yeah. Yeah, Talk about him. Yeah. He was, I mean, he was great. He was just super believable. Like the I think especially just the relationships that he has, that's mostly what struck me about his character and the way that he interacts with people. Because I, I say this a lot on the podcast, but I think whenever I like characters or whenever I feel like I know people yeah. like that, that's that something about that, just seeing how... Because I think you get to see that type of person that you know, but you get to see them in different types of situations. And sometimes you get to see, you know, how they got that way. Mm-hmm. And it all just, it helps you understand the people or helps me understand the people that I know in my life more. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. And so I feel like I know people like Joe or I've like run into them in different um, environments and yeah. And he, he just is a really compelling character. Like he obviously is, has a, a goal and a mission and he's just doing that. And he has, I mean, he's like sacrificed a lot for that and is giving everything for that. And so just the acting is really well done, but then also the character itself, himself mm-hmm. is just really compelling. Mm-hmm. And he just, just seems like a good guy. <laughs> just, just seems like a good guy, you know? I'm having an epiphany that if you got a ponytail, <laughs> that could be your future. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's kind of like old Ian. <laughs> Man, I would not have thought that. Maybe I need to go to... A war first. Maybe that's, war. What, maybe that's what would really push me into being Joe. Well, Joe does not smush up his donut before See? having his solitude. So Ian can get there. Yep. It's mm-hmm. a roadmap for yeah, his future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Joe, Aaron? I really enjoyed the character for a lot of the reasons that Ian already said. And I, he's a very fatherly figure mm-hmm. in a movie that's... Um, I don't think it's the main thread, but you kind of, you find out at the end that um, Ruben didn't know who his, his dad left mm-hmm. early childhood, didn't, doesn't really have a relationship with his dad. And then you learn Lou also, her relationship with her dad was very strained and almost non-existent. Um, and so he is this, yeah, I, I, I'm sure we'll get into it in a minute, but, um, I think he's a key, it's a key role. in I think that what the movie is trying to say and, um, the way that he's interacting with Ruben 
uh, Joe's, yeah, he, he's really like demonstrating this like, this uh, kind of like unconditional pursuit of, mm-hmm. he cares about Ruben, he cares about his mm-hmm. soul, his well-being, mm-hmm. his, his good. And he has these really pure intentions throughout the movie towards Ruben and just and really everyone around him. But, mm-hmm. but then he also has, he has very strict lines right. that he won't, he won't let those be crossed. And I think that's interesting too, because he has this discipline side of him where he, he really does love people. And you can tell that he's built his whole life about around caring for people and helping people heal. But then he isn't just a pushover. Like he has, certain things that if people try to go past those that he's just not going to support that yeah his his lines to me scan is loving like yeah he's, he's mm-hmm. trying to protect the person he's mm-hmm. trying to protect the community yep um there he it's not like out of a spirit of control or, no or yeah. manipulation he's just he has some hard lines but they're he they're for people's ultimate good yeah i agree but it just it makes him have to do hard things yeah and, and I think that is a father thing to do of drawing those lines and disciplining people whenever they need. Yeah. And I, um, as we go on, Joe's like, I didn't personally be like, Oh, that's me. Or that's the character I re- most resemble, but he's definitely the character at a personal level that I felt like I could empathize with the most or like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I think it goes to the character, and even the actor is the he's hearing, but he his both his parents are deaf, mm. oh. and so I think he just from a personal perspective that mm. that bridge between or trying to help you know almost as an interpreter, but he was just around you know a lot of that, and so I think he had a lot of insight mm. into the role, um, and it's interesting how he it is this blending of. Um, like it's not just a, a group of, of deaf people trying to like learn or be a community. There's also the substance abuse element to it. And so it's, it's part like, you know, sort of recovery group. And then part, you know, he makes it very clear and upfront when he first encounters Ruben that they're not trying to, to heal or solve the problem with the ears. They're trying to, or I guess he goes to his head. Um, like basically it's about, learning how to, you know, essentially be, be comfortable in your own skin or, mm-hmm. you know, to, to work out the heart issues and, and just the, the acceptance issues. Um, and so it's a, it's an interesting spin. Cause I, I think a lot of stories, a lot of movies, there's a 12 step or like a substance abuse recovery slant to them. And, and that's not, not in a bad way, but it's just, it's familiar ground, but it's, it's this blending of, of the two of the, the, the sort of, minority subculture, you know, the, 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 you know, the deaf community with the substance abuse recovery community. And I think there are some unique dynamics with both those things going on. Um, that makes it a, a particularly interesting character. I, I actually want to, if you guys are up for it and maybe now is not the, the right exact time, but for me, the, the, my favorite scene in the entire film is after, um, Ruben gets the cochlear implants and he goes back and he wants to stay for a little while. He wants to, he asks for money. Mm-hmm. He's just, you know, and, and just to me, that's just a gut wrenching scene is a very revealing scene. And I actually would like to kind of go through that in close detail, almost dissect the scene. Um, but it's a little farther in the movie. And so, um, I just, uh, 
I say this, I feel like every week, but <laughs> I, I love the very beginnings of movies and the very ends of movies. And like, what do we, like, how are we introduced to the characters in this film and how does the beginning help uh, help us understand their motivations and just where they are and who they are as characters? I think when you meet, the movie opens with Ruben and he's, he's a, he's a frenetic guy. Like he's, he's always, a, he's a drummer. And I think drummers, uh, like in a band, oh, Ian played drums. Like <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. You're just waiting for that. <laughs> That's my one note on this movie. No, but uh, I think even like when you watch a band performing, the drummers, what it feels like constant motion. They're just, you know, playing, and he lives that way. He he wakes up early. He's making smoothies, making breakfast. Like he's he's messing with sound equipment. Like he's. He doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. He's like constant motion, constant energy. And that's how you meet him. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, he's sitting silently, still, finally, you know, looking up at the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of meaning in, in between there, yeah. but we'll get to, but that's kind of how you meet him and how it ends. Yeah, and so he's he's this frenetic drummer. I think that's an important detail. Um, and... It's just all those chaotic sounds, right? You yep. know, just the way drummers are. and Because it's not even classical music or soft indie yeah. rock or something or, or Midwest emo, right? <laughs> it's, it's pretty it's, similar to Midwest yeah. emo. I mean, it's heavy metal. It, it's yeah. loud. It's aggressive. Yep. It's in your face. You know, the, the t- it's just, it's a lifestyle. And I think it's also important, you know, as far as establishing the characters and their motivations and who they are. He's with the lead singer, um, Lou or Louise, um, and she's the lead singer and they live in their little Airstream. RV, RV, Airstream. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so maybe pick it up, Ian, like, like what, what are we learning about his relationship and just what he values in life and then like about Louise? Yeah. Um, so you definitely, I mean, you just see their life on the road. Like they do obviously care about each other, um, but they also, they introduce pretty early that they both have problems. Like you see on her arms, you see all mm-hmm. her scars. And I think he talks, I can't remember when, but fairly early you realize that he had been an addict at a certain point. And so that is, that definitely plays into his character um, as he's kind of recovering from mm-hmm. that. And yeah, just, and he is all about music like that. That is his entire life. Like, and it shows that in a bunch of different ways, but just like how they have all the sound equipment in their van. Like he's just all about touring. That's kind of what he thinks about. That's what he puts Mm -hmm. all of his energy into. Um, Really, I mean, for him, it's basically like Lou and music. Those are the Mm -hmm. only two things that exist in his world. Like there there really is nothing else. And you kind of get the sense throughout the entire movie that, that he's content just doing that probably for the next few decades. Mm-hmm. That's re- that's all that he wants. He doesn't have any other plans. There's not really any end game. He just really likes playing. He likes the music and he likes being with Lou mm-hmm. and he doesn't want anything else. So he's, mm-hmm. he's a pretty simple character to some degree. Not, I think he definitely has complexity to him, but I guess just as his, as far as his desires go, um, at least at face value, Mm-hmm. So I think he would probably, th- you know, say that he's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it um, like the way their relationship is displayed and then developed, 
you, you get this chunk of information at the beginning and then she leaves and, and the whole middle portion or the you know majority of the film, she's not, you know, because one of the rules of the program is no contact with the outside world. And so to um, to Ruben, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> to Lou, she says, like, you still need to do it. Um, I'm, you know, she, she pieces out and she's gone. Um, but when they circle back near the end, you get more information mm. about the relationship that I think helps recast, you know, some of their motivations. And so, um, for instance, we, we learn um, that, that, I don't know, <laughs> my brain's like Ruben. And every time I want to say Ruben, it's Darius in my head. And I have no <laughs> idea why. So think about the name Ruben, right? Ramon, yeah. Ruben, Ruben, I, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I have a mental, I must've been hypnotized some many years ago about the name Ruben. Um, but he's been in recovery for four years. That's what he says. Um, and then we find out that his relationship with Lou is, is four years yeah. old. And so I think you can see that, that he attributes the strength of his recovery to Lou. She's in some ways like his salvation. She's the one who, because of this relationship, because of her love, it like gave him a purpose and it gave him strength. Uh, and sort of the, the twin pillars of his relationship with Lou and then also the 12-step the community or just the recovery thing. That's why like their number one priority was getting him in a deaf you know, supported recovery group. Like that, that was the whole motivation. And then at the end, we find out that Lou, um, her mother committed suicide about four years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just by putting all those data points together, their relationship is born from a place where he's a recovering heroin addict. She's, you know, emotionally and just whatever healing from, um, you know, her parents got divorced. She lived with her mom you know, she had a strange relationship with her dad and then her mom commits suicide. And so she, from that kind of painful, chaotic place, they find each other mm -hmm. and they find music together. They throw in together. They have developed this bond together. And I think it's a really important piece of the film because so much of it is Ruben's struggle of like wanting to hold on to that. Yeah. At all costs. Yeah. And it's sad too. I was thinking about that because for Lou... I mean, she never explicitly says this, but it does. And because of what you find out about her, it feels more like just her way of grieving or like her way, her way of just dealing with where she was at mm -hmm. in her, in her life at that point. And to him it's and and she came from, I, I like whenever they go to, uh, wherever she came from to her dad's, I would just, I just want to live there oh, in Paris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. With all the fancy, just like the fancy dinner you, parties. You got and a French disposition. Giant yeah. Demeanor, kitchen. Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah. You should have been French. I yeah. 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 But the problem is because <laughs> I have a French disposition <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm not French, I don't get along with French people because we both think we're better than the other person. <laughs> Um, no, but she, she, even though she, you don't really find this out until later, she comes from this kind of higher class, mm -hmm. like just this more well-off, um, beginning and he, you don't find out as much about where he came from, but definitely not that he came from somewhere pretty different. And, and it's, so it's sad to me of that they, they could make it work and they could make that relationship happen. And I think it was 
helpful for both of them at the time. But they, I think she at least might've been committed enough to keep it going, but they make it pretty clear that it's not good for her and that she like can't really sustain that. And it's just sad because they, he, especially for him, that he, he really wants that. Mm -hmm. And that's what's, that was a lot of his motivation for even doing any, going through any of this healing process was just being able to have a healthy relationship with her and then get back to what they were doing before, which is what you're saying. But, but seeing, then you kind of see him grow through that. But even with the growth, I think it's sad that they, they kind of come to an impasse of they're just, and maybe not compatible isn't the right word. Cause I think they could have made it work if they had really, if they had both really wanted it, but I think they just, they just get to the point where they both know more of who they are and mm. they just aren't into it as much as they were whenever they're at different places in their life. And I don't know. It's just sad. It's a sad, um, yeah, it's just always sad whenever things like that don't work out. Yeah. It's sad, but it's also, it feels real, right? Yeah. Like a yeah, lot yeah. Of, it definitely feels real. It's, yeah. it's hard because viewed a certain way, I don't think there's any reason to doubt they didn't love and care about mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. But it was almost like their bond was built on mutual healing. Mm. Yep. And they were both in, in really desperate, dark places and they found each other and then they forged this musical bond and they found like a purpose through the band and touring and all that. And I think having that forward momentum and that purpose and reason, it, it pulled her out of the fog of, of dealing with, you know, the, the suicide and all that. And it pulled him out of the fog of whatever drove him to the substance abuse. And, you know, like, like you were saying, like he didn't know his dad and he crisscrossed the country following his mom. Is she, she was in the military. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like yeah, you don't have to up. project too much. Like that's probably a lonely childhood and a, mm -hmm. you know, there's some things that, that can happen there. And, um, you know, she comes from a rich family, but parents who hated each other <laughs> and then, you know, all, all that unfolded there. And um, so they found a certain amount of oasis or refuge in each other, but that's not the same as like right. what love, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not trying to criticize or dump on them, but you, you sometimes realize that the core of their relationship was shared pain and shared like comfort that they found in each other. Um, and so when they separated, you know, she, it was almost like she got the anger out. She, yeah. she processed it out mm -hmm. and then went back, realized her dad wasn't the monster. Maybe her mom had built him up to be, you know, when, when they were divorced and then time there and then time away from the, the heavy metal touring scene. Like she had space and she, you know, kind of that theme of stillness, maybe like, like maybe she was like in a still place, you know, and that's maybe reading into it a bit, but, um, I think she realized, and she was willing to play along. That's why I, yeah. I love that scene. And I know we kind of skipped to the end, but we'll, because <laughs> the movie isn't, you know, like I think we'll do that a lot. Because um, there's the, the relationship, there's different things we'll pick apart, but um, it's not this like blowout fight mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, that happens, it's, a, it's right? a hard scene. Yeah. yeah so, like, let's, let's talk about that scene. Like, like the, when they, like, like what's going on? Cause I think he discovers something that she doesn't, but I think they both knew it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think like they, like you guys are describing both Lou and Ruben have uh, this intense, these intense pains in their life and they found each other about the, uh -huh. it seems like at similar points in their, their journeys with that. Um, 
kind of like it seems like at the end of the rope for each of them is kind of like this is it and they found each other and in each other they found refuge they found human connection i think for which was probably a struggle for each of them if like you described ruben he's moving around the country he he doesn't seem to have many connections like even when he's struggling at the beginning she calls this sponsor um mm-hmm. you know that seems to be like the the, cl- the next best person in his life for her to reach out to and and her mom has uh passed away and she has it seems like her one connection is kind of this dad who she didn't really know and this culture she doesn't really know she mm-hmm. even talks about she's forgotten the language like so it seems like wouldn't there be a better place for her to go like in her time of need than this kind of dad who she's estranged <laughs> like from fly all the way <laughs> yeah. to France. Yeah. But it's, yeah. so they don't seem to be people, Ruben and Lou who have like many other human connections or relationships. And I think they were good for each other in the moment when they found each other and, and they, they really helped each other and, and they loved each other well. But I think what they're both learning is that there is an aspect of healing that's that's grieving that mm-hmm. that's saying like I lost this and, and and I'm sad about that and I think in the frenetic energy that they're showing in the beginning they're both focused on the tour they're both focused on an album mm-hmm. um, they're not really able to sit in stillness and in silence and just grieve and mm-hmm. and reflect on what they've lost and what should have been and and how to move forward they're they're and you can get stuck like that it's like they're good for each other but then you can kind of get stuck in that point and never fully heal. And I think that's both, I think that's what they're both realizing at the end that to fully heal, they actually need this time apart and to keep walking the paths that they're already on. And who knows, maybe they get together at some point in the future, but for right now, those paths are separate mm-hmm. and it's, it's better for each of them to continue on these separate paths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they, they realize that. And I think what's sad or what hits me about that is just the seeming inevitability of it, mm-hmm. of just like, it's not something that they come to a decision about necessarily. It's just more that they both kind of realize that. And she doesn't even really want to, but right. he he does. He, he in the moment, he sees what's going on and he, he you can tell he already makes the decision that. Do you remember what clued him in? Yeah, it was whenever she scratches. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. she absentmindedly starts mm-hmm. scratching at her forearm because he makes a comment. He, he starts of, talking about the tour, yeah. mm-hmm. and we're gonna like yeah. he's yeah. we reconnected. And now we're gonna get back. We're gonna do this, and she's agreeable, right? right. Yeah, but then absentmindedly starts scratching on her yeah. forearm, and he sees it. And I don't think she realized she was doing mm-hmm. it. And that's why it's like that. You talk about show not tell. Yeah, like mm-hmm. all that's happening, and you just that eyes like the Riz Ahmed thing mm-hmm. you just see this subtle change in his eyes where yeah. he, like he's crushed because it just clicks yep. and he knows that if he loves her he at this point is harming her ability to heal and, mm-hmm. and grow he needs for her good and like that's the defining thing that was in front of him this entire journey and like all of that wrapped up in those moments and it is really well done you see him go from he i mean he has this experience he doesn't have the experience that he wants in france but at that point you know he's with her like everything could be going where he wants it to go Mm -hmm. and then you just you see that happening like she scratches because he makes a comment earlier of like oh your your arm's looking great like you haven't so they kind of lay the groundwork for that and then you see that so she scratches her arm whenever he's talking about getting back on the tour and everything and you see 
the realization, you see him recognizing what's happening and then you see him kind of move towards acceptance and, you know, mm-hmm. a few seconds and you see it, it's all done without any dialogue and yeah. it is really well acted. Yeah. yeah. So having sketched that out, um, cause they do, the movie does sandwich that, right. The relationship, <laughs> um, like let's jump back where, like, what is his state of mind when he starts losing his hearing? Because it's pretty <laughs> rapid and pretty undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think <laughs> you're kind of having seen the resolution, but like the journey of, of how he got there, like, like what's, you know, wh- wh- where did he start from in this transformation? Like, like what was, you know, defining to him? Well, yeah, it's funny that you say it's undeniable because I think his first reaction is just <laughs> completely denying it. Like he doesn't even tell her at first, yeah. which I was like, you're in a band with somebody. It's important if you can hear or not hear. That's actually very important, especially if it's only you're, you're like 50% of the music being produced. <laughs> that is extremely important if you can hear what else is going on. And so he doesn't even tell her and then whenever he does he you know he tells her and he starts to accept it more and everything he still is just like it it doesn't matter we'll just keep going i'll i'll just learn to read like read your signals and i can play without hearing basically and, mm-hmm. and he, he can just use like a click track like yeah it's just telling him when to mm-hmm. i think he says i'll be he'll be the click i'll track. be the click track right. yeah. yeah um yeah and so he basically is just totally fine destroying his hearing and just continuing on and never being able to hear again, or at least in the moment, that's, that's, Mm -hmm. those are the decisions that he would have made on his own. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a great little scene because you you really feel the desperation, Mm -hmm. right? And and they, you know, you see how much joy he has in playing and how much meaning he derives from it. And they kind of roll out all these factors. And so when, when he has it and, that's where like the, the sound editing really helps. Like you, you get that, you know, you, mm-hmm. you almost like you're experiencing it from his point of view and how confusing and how jarring and how like no one wakes up thinking this might be the last day I hear. It, it really does come out of the blue. And his immediate like response that I think is pretty relatable is, okay, it's a problem. We got to fix it. I'm going to go to a doctor. We're going to mm-hmm. fix it. This is, this is a problem. We're going to fix it. And we're going to keep doing exactly what we're doing. This train is not getting derailed. We're going to stay on this track because these past four years have been great. <laughs> I like what we're doing. I like this life. I like this woman. I like our little airstream. I like playing music. I like everything about this. Prior to the four years ago, that was bad. I don't want to go back there. It's just that, that desperation mm-hmm. and that desire to control and you have this variable, like the hearing loss wasn't, I don't even know the science or the medicine behind it, but it's not because this gradual hear loss by playing the drums. It was the sudden onset thing. Um, so it's sort of presented as this uncontrollable variable. And so despite all of his like intense efforts to control it, and so he goes to the doctor and the doctor's explaining, you know, this is the stuff, but like the number one thing right. is con- the one thing you can control is don't be in areas where you're going to be subject to loud <laughs> yeah. noises, right? That's the one and only, if you really, you know, and that's how much he cared yeah. about playing music and, and holding on to that sense of normalcy. So he does the one, like it's one thing, only one thing in your control and he's desperate for control, but he 
doesn't do it. Yeah, doesn't that like cut to him? Cuts yeah. to him yeah. immediately. Right? He's playing, yeah. the, he's playing yeah. another show. And that was also, yeah. if, if the, I identify with Joe, I also identify with the doctor. <laughs> that scene. He, he's a hard character to be with for the whole movie. Yeah. Because he, yeah, he is just so like antagonistic of everybody and he just won't do. Well, there's a yeah. freneticism, yeah. like yeah. to Aaron's point, like, like whatever artistic decision that made it for him to be a drummer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah, that's it's just, a perfect, it's a perfect yeah, metaphor. It is, that is a good. Well, and I think his desperation is born out of, he, he see, Ruben is seemingly a guy with very little human connection. Mm -hmm. And he's finally found it with Lou. And I don't think it's necessarily just the music. It's the music is his connection to Lou in mm -hmm. his mind at that point. Yeah. And he knows, like you're saying, like he's 50% of this band and without music, what are him and Lou doing? Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, that's that's a, an important connection mm -hmm. that they share. And I think when he goes to rehab, he's like, fine, I'll do it. But he's just like, he doesn't want to learn sign language. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to be part of the community. He doesn't care about, um, you know, learning to be deaf, learning to like anything. He just wants to get back to Lou, I think, because right. that is probably one of the few times in his life he's experienced this, this true human connection. Mm -hmm. And one of the most touching scenes to me, because he, ha he is, he's very antagonistic um, in the deaf community setting until there's a scene where uh, he doesn't, like even the, it's like he's in a classroom with kids and like a teacher and he's being antagonistic in there. <laughs> like the teacher's like, right, she's being very kind and patient with him and understanding. And these kids are probably like 10, 12 and she's like, write your name. And he just very like a jerk, just writes his name huge, like sloppily. And the teacher continues to be patient with him. And that was actually, if I didn't go with the donuts yeah. for introducing Ian, it was going to be the man who writes his name across yeah. the board in big letters. <laughs> Ian, oh, wow. Ian would do that. Yeah, I would do that. <laughs> but anyway, go. Yeah. But the moment where that, that kind of thinking for him is broken is he's, he's at a playground with this kid. And the kid's at the top of the slide and Ruben's at the bottom of the slide mm -hmm. and they start tapping to each other on the slide. And I think it's the first time in, his mo in the movie that he's made a human connection mm -hmm. with another person who's not Lou. And he realizes, I can connect with people without music, without like, because mm -hmm. I, I think that's part of why I feel so hopeless. I think he's mm -hmm. like, I don't have any other avenues or outlets to, to actually connect with people. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's so desperate, mm -hmm. but... He finally, and, and that's when his whole orientation in this deaf community changes. He starts learning mm -hmm. sign language. He's, he's racing with the people. He's laughing with them. He's enjoying company with uh, the, the young woman. They're, they're trying the tattoo together. Like he's, he's, he's finally connecting with other people. And he's good at it. He's good yeah. at it. It was this thing that's been there the whole time. And he, he got nurtured. And it, as he was being nurtured, these, these abilities and, and gifts and, and things like, start flowing out of him to the point where Joe is just like, Hey, like yeah. you are an important part of this community. People connect with you. You're actually, a, you know, you're not just here to be learning stuff from us. You're, you're here, you're, you're growing and investing in people. It was like, basically think about having a permanent job here, mm -hmm. you know, gently cause he knows how much he cares about the music. Um, I want to interject. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I had forgotten about this, but I just remembered whenever you were talking about like how, music is pretty much everything. And so the loss of that is just, it's this huge blow. It's not just losing music, it's losing Lou. And then it's, it's kind of losing the thing that brought him out of, you know, his addiction and all this stuff. And I, this just came back to me while you guys were saying that I had kind of a visceral reaction to that as I was watching the movie, 
because the way that I had been typing, because I'm a software developer, so I just sit at a computer and type all day. The way that I've been doing that, and for the past couple of weeks, my hand has started to hurt, and I've looked it <laughs> up, and I think I have. It's not carpal tunnel, because that's your, like, three fingers besides your pinky, but there's another nerve that goes to your pinky, and that has started to happen to me over the last couple of weeks. I think I fixed it this week. I know everybody's worried, so don't worry, listeners. I think it's getting better. But I had that where I was like, somewhere in the back of my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is my job. Like I'm gonna have, how am I gonna type without without messing up my hands for the rest of my life? I'm only 29. How am I gonna survive? And something, my brain like connected that. And whenever he was losing his hearing as a drummer, I was like, I'm losing the thing that I need for my job. And it just clicked and I like emotionally <laughs> got it. <laughs> that It made that part of the movie so much more impactful. And I just remember that. And I'm glad that she yeah. didn't quit a sore pinky with catastrophic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hearing loss. It's not a sore <laughs> pinky, Tim. Okay, I'm going to look up WebMD and you're going you're gonna to read the... Uh, <laughs> The no, that's, that's good. symptoms, yeah. It's Ian's like my eye's been blinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, it is carpal tunnel is nothing to joke at. Yeah, yeah. No. I'm glad. We're, Whatever it takes to get hey, you to yeah. emotionally connect. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> to, the, uh, to the carpal tunnel <laughs> yeah. community. Yeah, we are laughing at Ian. Okay, that's right. Yeah, not you. Nothing but respect yeah. and love. We, yes. <laughs> if you laugh at one of us, Aaron, you're, you're yeah. laughing at all of us. <laughs> It's a tight net community. <laughs> Anyways, continue. Anyways, yeah. Um, I just wanted to share that little nugget of insight. <laughs> yeah, you you suffered. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So people need to know. Real suffering. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's kind of. I liked what you said, Aaron, about the the kid on the slide and how that human connection and it does. It, it's what takes the lid off and it changes yeah. his orientation. Um, because I guess if, if you rewind it a little bit, everything you said, like like you're saying, it's not just the love of music, it's music is his connection to Lou, and yeah. Lou is pretty much the only major relationship in his life, as far as we can tell. Um, so he fears yeah. that, you know, and so anything that gets in the way, that's a threat. And part of what I love about this movie is he's right. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly what he feared and everything that he was trying desperately to avoid and right. everything in his power to the point of upending, selling the, the Gulf stream or the, whatever the thing. And, you know, gets literal like surgery and, and like, all the stuff. And he, you know, and we just talked about how he, he couldn't stop it from happening. Like what he feared was exactly right. But, like it mirrors, I think, his lack of embrace with like the community that he's in and, and what Joe is saying of like, we're not here to try to heal the deafness or try to, you know, we're not, their point of view is that there's nothing wrong with the community. They're, they're not impaired or less than in any way. And so he's trying to like heal. He's trying to point him to something deeper essentially like, yeah. like, you know, finding value, not in your hearing or not hearing or addict or not addict, but like be able to like find value in, in who you are and ultimately your ability to, to give to other people, to build community, right. to live in community, to love. And it's like, he's on the precipice of learning that. And then if the slide is yeah. what opens it, like what 
stalls the momentum. Like, do you guys he, remember? Yeah, he sneaks onto like a, it's like a message board or something. And he sees like Lou is performing now without him. And that just, it kicks him back into desperation mode. Cause he's like, she's moving on without me. I've mm. lost her. And he gets desperate. He's like, uh, he sells all the sound equipment. He sells the trailer. Um, he makes this doctor's appointment. He doesn't seem to understand the, I mean, it, it, it seems like he doesn't seem to understand like what the surgery is actually going to do and what the outcome, the possible outcomes and things. Cause he's like surprised yeah. that, wait, how come it, it sounds like this? And mm. I'm sure that's something a doctor would have explained. Right. And, but he just seems so desperate that it seems like he just kind of rushed through the process even. And um, he, Ruben makes a comment to Joe afterward where he's, it's another one of those things, it's like the music. He cares about music, but it's the connection to uh, Lou. And then there's a similar thing that happens when Ruben has been kicked into desperation mode after he sees this message board post of Lou performing. He sold everything, he's had the surgery. Then he wants to get the trailer back. He's he's like focused mm. on that. And it's none of those things like I know they love the trailer, they appreciate it. And he even tells Joe, like, it's our home. Right. Like this isn't just a thing right. I'm trying to buy. Like this is our home. Right. And it's another one of those I think it's about Lou. Like it's their home. Mm-hmm. It's it's his connection to Lou. It's where they share a life. Um, it's where they're connected. They have all well, these it's intimate memories. Space, yeah. Right? It's a small intimate space. Intimate yeah. space. And that's what he's trying to to get back. And um yeah, that's when he when he sees the message word post, it's that intimacy, that, mm-hmm. that connection to Lou that he feels threatened and he's just mm-hmm. goes into hyperdrive again. Mm-hmm. When he's been he's been learning to be because he he won't write in the journal, he smashes the donut, <laughs> he connects with the kid on the slide, he starts writing in the journal. Right. And he's he's learning to be calm, he's learning to be still. Right. He's but giving he, the drum lesson. He's yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you see a lot of other things too. You see him connect with the kids, like all the right. kids. Like he really yeah. enjoys them. He's kind of with the court teacher. Dinner. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he does and you can see that he genuinely enjoys those things. He's not doing that because he's like trying to trick anybody or manipulate or yeah. try to get his, you know, prove to Joe that he's better so that he can get up and leave. Like he genuinely does enjoy being there and enjoys connecting with all those people. And he makes real relationships and probably more and deeper relationships than he's, you know, maybe ever had, but at least had for a very long time. Well, he seems to have lost the urgency for right. the surgery. Mm-hmm. He's right. not yeah. talking mm-hmm. about it. He's not trying to earn money. Right. He's, he's in essence like found a home. Yeah. I just don't think he's realized that it's home yet until he sees that message board post and right. he's like, Oh, that's my home. Like that's been mm-hmm. threatened. Yeah. Cause all of his purpose and meaning and safety in life is Lou in her relationship. And then he essentially gets distracted. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. like, you know, when the little kid is like looking at the shot and doesn't want the shot or whatever, and you, someone gets candy and distracts him when they pop him with the shot. Like, you know, he, he gets healed or, you know, whatever the good thing. They happens, still give but, Ian shots like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Hold a balloon up over here. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> We're trying to fix this carpal tunnel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're giving away the secret. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like it goes back to like when he first encounters Lou in, in this house, Lou is very, I think it's part of what's endearing about the character is he's, He's old and wise. You can tell he's well-traveled as far as he's been down this road with a lot of people. 
he himself, right? He says he lost his hearing in Vietnam and it, he's like, it's not the hearing loss that made me lose my mm-hmm. wife and kids. And yeah. it, it's the alcohol, like it he, the his inability to accept it really. Yeah. Um, and so he has this personal application. He's learned some things. He's passionate about helping other people. And, but it's in a very gentle, relaxed, low key, but firm way. And he's very, he's a direct communicator and it's not like banging on the table, but there's also no ambiguity. He's very direct. It's gentle and loving, but it's also unyielding and uncompromising. And it's, if you're going to come here, there are certain things you have to live by. No, no exceptions and no, you know, not because he likes being a dictator, but because he's been through enough permutations to know what works and what doesn't. So one of the things is no contact with the outside world. And it's kind of neat because he has this rule. Ruben doesn't like it. He rebels against it. He, you know, storms out, but he ultimately, you know, they have that scene where he's at the bed and he's saying, you know, give me your car keys and then give me your phone. And, you know, he reluctantly turns them over. But then you see like Joe's wisdom plays out, (laughs) right? Because, by enforcing that, and then you see Ruben reluctantly at first, but then eventually, and he's healing and growing and, and doing all the things that, like Lou's essentially, or uh, Joe's essentially predicting will happen. And then he sneaks and violates it, and it, it goes the other way. And I thought that was just an interesting way of, of showing, like, kind of Joe, uh, I keep, yeah, it is Joe, uh, his competence uh, and, and just born of experience. And I just thought it'd be an interesting thing to, to think about together. Um, putting yourselves in Joe's shoes, how do you think when he encounters uh, Ruben, what does he see in Ruben? What, what is he trying to reach in Ruben? What is he trying to, to sort of bring his influence and how does he want Ruben to grow? Yeah, I mean, I think he's seen a lot of Rubens probably. Mm-hmm. I think he, and like you said, like, he knows all this stuff. I think he does have some intuition about it, but I think a lot of it is just experience. He's he's worked with a lot of Rubens before, and so he sees him as this guy who does come in as like really frantic, like just always is keeping himself busy. And he he does really key into that that uh, he knows that Ruben is going to try to keep himself busy. And so what he what he does with him specifically is he just gives him the room in the morning and says just just be there, just be quiet. And you either have to be sitting there or you have to be writing. Those are the only two things that you're allowed to do in the room. And so what I think he wants for him is just to be able to really just to be by himself and to be with himself and to come to terms with just, just really who he is and like the decisions that he's made and the relationships that he has or hasn't had and come to terms with all the things that have brought him to this point in life and and just to look at those and he doesn't even necessarily tell him like to think about specific things, but he, I think he, what he wants for him is um, to stop running away from things. Cause I think that's part of that, mm-hmm. that just being so um, frantic all the time is there's just, there's a certain amount of distraction and there's a certain amount of running away. And I think, I think Joe sees that. I think he sees through him super fast. Like he just, he, I think he's able to recognize people like that because he's done it Mm -hmm. for a while. And so I think he sees that. And what he wants for him is to get to a place where he can really rest and Ruben can look at himself and just say, this is who I am. 
and that's okay. And I'm okay being who I am and mm -hmm. acting, you know, the way that I have acted and, and accepting the things that I've done in the past and who I was in the past, but then growing and healing into somebody different than that. And just accepting that that is possible. Um, yeah. And so the, I think just a lot of acceptance and yeah, just looking, looking forward and being able to sit with himself, I think are mm -hmm. some of the main things that Joe's pushing him towards and that he wants to see him grow in. What about you, Aaron? Yeah, my thoughts are similar. Joe's seen a lot of people in pain and he, um, it's a very human thing to, to run from pain, to hide from it, to cover mm -hmm. it up, to just try and drown it out, numb it. Right. And because of the experience you're talking about, Ian, I think Joe has seen probably most of the ways that people try and hide or avoid pain. And I think he pretty quickly recognizes because he finds Joe finds Ruben trying to repair the house. Mm -hmm. He's right. like, yeah, that's a scene. I and Joe's like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. And he brings him upstairs mm -hmm. and that's when he invites him. He's like, you, you like getting up early? I'm going to unlock this room for you. I'm going to leave paper, pen, donut, coffee. Mm -hmm. And you just sit and you write. Mm -hmm. And he knows, um, Joe knows that Ruben needs to face his pain. Mm -hmm. Ruben needs to look it in the eye. Ruben needs to acknowledge what hasn't gone right in his life. And he needs to be able to sit with it in stillness. And that's where he'll actually find healing, mm -hmm. like you're saying. And yeah, I think that's what, that's what he sees in him. That's what he wants for him. I think he knows it's possible. Mm -hmm. um, and then something that's like, I think like a personal connection for me that I really appreciate about this movie is it's challenging for me to, to want good things for people, to want healing, and to even sometimes to be able to see the path and be like, these are, these are your steps and, you know, to whatever degree of clarity. But something that, I, that I'm learning that I think Joe does really well in this movie is he can see the path for Ruben. He, he can understand it well. Um, but Joe still gives Ruben like the, the dignity of his process. He lets mm -hmm. it play out at the speed that Ruben needs. He's not like mm -hmm. pushing him. He's not like, come on, like, this is your next step. Why aren't mm -hmm. you doing this? Like mm -hmm. he lets him, you know, he, he lets Ruben be rude. He lets Ruben be, you know, kind of a jerk. And, but he, he gives him the, the dignity of the process is like the phrase that's kind of mm -hmm. been with me for like a year or so. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's an important aspect of when you're walking with people who are growing, healing, mm -hmm. um, you can see things with clarity, but that ability it really is like a, a form of humility to mm -hmm. to be able to give people the dignity of the process to move at their speed, mm -hmm. um, to kind of face each thing in the ways that they need to. Um, it's an important piece of that, and I, I really admire the character Joe. What he does. That's part of what makes him so compelling. Yeah, mm -hmm. like we all want a Joe yeah. in our lives, mm -hmm. right? right? Someone who's a guy, someone who's wise, someone who loves us, but someone who's not shoving us forward at his yeah. preferred speed, like, right? I think that's interesting. And I think too, just the idea, having that idea of a process in mind, because Ruben is really rebelling against that. He doesn't want a process. He wants yeah. a fix. He just, yeah. he sees a problem, like you're saying, and he wants something to fix it. And so I think it's helpful to see it that way whenever you're the one who's doing the healing or you're helping somebody. It's just, it's helpful to look at it as a process and that things don't change overnight. Mm -hmm. I think especially stuff like that and the things that, the this, the themes that they're dealing with in this movie, there, there are deep hurts. Like 
it is stuff like you were saying, Tim, it's not that he's seeing things. It's not that Ruben is like seeing things that aren't there. It's just more that he doesn't have the full picture. It's like he, mm -hmm. it's like he has blinders on. And so he's just pushing right. out the full picture, but what he's looking at, he does see fairly clearly and he sees it not incorrectly, right. but he just isn't seeing everything that's there. And yeah, I think that's just, it's just really easy to do. And so just viewing it as a process whenever you're going through that, but also, yeah. and then whenever you're helping yeah. people mm -hmm. through that, I think is yeah. always, it's, it's really important. Cause he, he accurately sees the problem mm -hmm. and he accurately yeah. sees the threat. Right. right. Yeah. And he lacks the imagination to see that the solution is not just warding off the threat and mm -hmm. letting, you know, solving the problem. The solution lies outside the blinders. Yeah. Yeah. And he lacks the imagination. It's, it's bigger so, than it's that. bigger. Yeah. And so yeah. Joe's like his guide or someone who loves him enough and, and sees past the blinders and is trying to lead him to a place of healing and health. But you can't the 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 process of of losing your blinders or you know it involves discomfort and mm -hmm. it involves fear. It involves letting go of something held dear. Like those things are not easy. They're not always quick. They're not always linear. And they're also not things that you can just tell somebody. They have to be, it has yeah. to be like mm -hmm. incarnational. They have to yeah. see it themselves. And so um, I feel like we, we've hit on a lot of it. So I just want to <laughs> dive headlong because I think there's a lot of good stuff here that's related to the question I'm about to ask. Why why did Joe prescribe this morning ritual of, of coffee, donut, silence, solitude, and writing? Um, and uh, I guess this is where I'll pull out my quote. The the because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just uh, Blaine Pascal, the the French do everything mathematician Blaise. philosopher. Blaise, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Oh, yep. That was a test. Just, yeah, wasn't sure. You know. <laughs> it helps that you wrote it on the board. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Um, but he says, actually, Aaron, yeah. can you read it since my, my, yeah. Yeah. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. It's kind of a strange quote, right? Like you'd think war, greed, you know, whatever. Like there's well, if everybody was hatred. just in rooms, yeah. <laughs> you couldn't bother they, anyone else. They couldn't fight anybody. Else. Yeah. Um, but I think it's an interesting quote, and you know th that quote specifically is not referenced. But I think Joe would agree with that quote, or I think the the kernel of truth that that quote's yep. trying to highlight, I think, is also in many ways complementary with the kernel of truth Joe is trying to. Uh, lead and in, in incarnate, you know, in, in the heart of um, of uh, Ruben. And so, again, I, I know we've we've been answering that question in bits and pieces along the way, but but just to bring it to, to like a focused place, like what what is accomplished in you know trying to get Ruben to just to stop repairing the house, to stop making plans, to to go meet. Lou or to try to get his ear, his cochlear implant or, or whatever, like the striving, like, like what is it about stillness that is productive or, or you yeah, know? striving is a good word because it's easy to get lost in kind of like linear thinking. Like mm -hmm. this is my problem. If I do this, it mm -hmm. solves it. This is my next problem. If I do this, it solves it. And it's easy to get caught in this like a plus B equals C this really simplistic, like ways that we can see life and our, our problems and our pains and, I think what's what we've been describing is like pain, our human experience, it's often like just this web of experiences that they do. They take time and they, they take thinking and they, they take um, 
like self-examination to like, what it's not just, you know, um, for Ruben, I have, I have a problem with substances. Um, Lou and music are my saviors. If I just get back to Lou and music, I won't like, I won't struggle with substance. I won't struggle with heroin. Like that, that's really how he sees it at the beginning. And you know, Joe knows like that's not the ultimate solution. That's worked for four years Mm -hmm. and it may work for who knows how much more, but it's not like an ultimate solution. Like Ruben needs space to self-examine, you know, why, why do I do these things? Why, why does music and Lou work? Mm-hmm. Cause there's depth to that too. It's not that that's, you know, not a real solution, but when you get lost in that kind of linear, like a plus B equals C thing, you can lose the thread of like, why is this actually a solution? Why, why it's, it's the human connection to Lou. It's the being known and loved by somebody like being desired, sharing intimate space, them opening up to him, like Mm -hmm. Lou opening up to him, her life. Like, um, there's things that he knows about her, her pain, her loss. It's this whole web that has healed him. But if he doesn't, stop and slow down like he won't see it and, mm-hmm. and you can lose that thread mm-hmm. um w- without the depth and self-examination so i think that's why otherwise we're just you know the quote all of humanity's problems otherwise we're just throwing solutions at problems and, mm-hmm. and we're, we're losing the thread of like this web of, of connectedness how all these things are related and why do i want what i want why does right. why does this heal me you know right. th- that kind of thing yeah i think it's easy to think especially whenever we're busy that we have good reactions to things and it's easy to think that we it's easy to kind of trick yourself into thinking like oh yeah i thought through that and i made the decision that i wanted right. to make but really you do need time to process mm-hmm. because there's just there's a lot of information in the world i mean it's crazy just how much is going on, you know, in, inside your own head. And then if you think about that, every single person that you interact with has that whole little world, they have, you know, uh, their own little world going on inside of them and everybody's kind of bouncing off each other in all these different ways. There's so much going on. Yeah. And like, and I mean, even like, uh, this is kind of a tangent, but it relates. Like I was listening to this podcast about, um, it was about choices and it was just saying like you, we have so many choices. Like if you walk into a grocery store and it's like, okay, I want, uh, I want some cereal. If you just look at the <laughs> cereal, aisle, it's like, you have like, you know, tens of like, if not like a hundred choices, you you know, there's like 50 or something, but like our brain kind of does this thing where you, you, it really filters it out. You, you kind of do this internal really quick filtering of like, okay, well I've had these ones and I know that I like these. So let me pick between like these three cereals or whatever. Mm. But really, I mean, there, that, even that is like some processing that needs to happen. And so I, I know at least for me, it's easy to think that I am really thinking through what I'm doing and I'm thinking through other people, you know, like their motivations and I'm kind of thinking about other people and what's going on with them. But really I have to spend some real, just actual processing time of just being somewhere and not have anything else engaging my mind to be able to, I think even just like understand what's going on in my life. And I think that that's part of why he asked him to do that is if you don't do that, if you don't do that for long enough, you really don't know what's happening in your life. And even though you can function, like you can get through life and you can, you know, you can make your dinner and mm-hmm. you can drive to the next spot. You can make all your appointments. 
you don't actually know why you're doing things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know why there's something in the human heart, at least for me, where, yeah, I just am able to trick myself so easily into thinking that I don't need the time mm-hmm. to sit still and I don't need the time to process through things, but it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I can kind of do that on the fly, but it just, it just doesn't happen. Um, and I think another thing too about sitting still I mean, part of it is just your mind goes to some really strange places and like kind of entertaining places almost. I don't know if that's the word I want to use, but I I, like, I always think whenever I'm about to go, um, it's funny because I do a good amount of like backpacking and camping, not a ton because we live in Austin and it's hot for a lot of the year. (laughs) Don't want to injure your pinky. Yeah. I also don't want to injure my pinky. Yeah. Um, that is a sore subject. I've gotten hurt a lot (laughs) recently in the past couple of years on Maybe you need time to process that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Maybe you keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I (laughs) But anyways, I always have this thought whenever I'm going out to somewhere remote because I am, you know, as much as I would like to say I'm a thoughtful person, whatever, I am constantly bombarded with things. Like I get in the car and listen to a podcast or I listen to music, you know, whatever. And I always think like, well, what am I going to do out there? Like, <laughs> how am I going to enjoy that time? And even though I've had this experience over and over and over again of like just being out, you know, with, and pretty much all the time I'm going with friends. I've camped by myself like a handful of times, but most of the time you're going out with people mm-hmm. and it's always so fun, but you, I think your mind just clicks into this different mode where you have to be original and you have to come up with things to talk about that are entertaining and interesting. And you have to like come up with activities that are entertaining and interesting. And, but we, you're, we're all totally capable of that. And if we don't spend that time alone, I think that we are not engaged uh, with all this stuff, all the noise, then we lose that. And I think we kind of lose the ability to know or like the self-assurance that we are enough, basically, that like we can, Mm. you know, to some degree from a Christian perspective, it's like we're not everything. But there is a sense of like we can entertain ourselves and we can like we have interesting things to say and every, everybody does, you know, there aren't really any boring people, but we tend to think, or at least maybe this is just me. I tend to think (laughs) people are boring because I have these really surface level conversations with them anyways. So that was kind of a couple of different rants, but if all the other people are boring, what's the common denominator? (laughs) I I don't see what you're getting at, Tim. Ian's like, no one wants to talk about pins. (laughs) Boring. You guys are the boring ones, obviously. No, but I think my, my original point there was basically that it's like, it's kind of, it's like humbling in a sense to sit in a room by yourself because you, I think you can begin to realize that the world is just so much bigger whenever you mm-hmm. actually start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there is also this, just this idea of like, you have a lot going on inside of you and it's almost never is going to be boring. If you can mm-hmm. get over that hump of mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm thinking about myself sitting in this room and I don't have anything to do. Like once you can get over that and you actually start thinking about, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on in your life or just other people or things you're interested in. There's a lot there and there's mm-hmm. like a crazy amount there to process. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's just, there's so much information and there's so much going on that you can't do it all subconsciously. It just doesn't work. Yeah. I think, um, I think for me, there's like three threads that, that come to mind. And 
the first, I think Aaron covered very well, like stillness and, and just some, some solitude or, or whatever. It, it's, I think it's demonstrated well in Honey Boy where yeah. like the Otis, you know, he's making movies and living large and he gets in that crash and he's in rehab and they want him to write. And he's in that frenetic, you know, go, go, go. But the act of forcing him to write makes him confront his PTSD with his sort of abusive, emotionally abusive dad. And then you see this reckling, reckling, <laughs> honest <laughs> reckoning, wrestling with his past. And he mm. comes out, you know, having stared it in the eye and looked at it and grappled with it, you can start to make sense of it. And then, then you can heal as opposed to keeping it, if you have a frenetic enough life, you can keep thoughts and emotions at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And so I think stillness allows for, and creates an environment where we honestly reckon with things, which leads to healing, which leads to progress and, and the ability to not burn the world down as Pascal. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and then the other thread I think is, it's, you know, in, in kind of maybe from more of a Christian perspective, but you know, the, the, the idea of like the human heart is like an idol factory. And so yeah. we're constantly churning up. This is what gives me meaning and purpose. And so I have to pursue these things. Like we're, we're made strivers and, and achievers, and that can be filtered through a variety of different personalities and types and all. But at our core, we, we, we are movement oriented towards you know, whatever, the, the teleological thing. Like we set things in front of us that yeah. are going to give us purpose and meaning and we work to achieve them. And some people do it in, in high achieving ways and people do it subtly and quiet, whatever. But we're always in motion in that way, even when we're not. And so I think stillness makes us in a place where we can't, when we're in a still mode, we're not striving. That's why I like that language yeah. of striving because even, is it's the difference between stillness and like, me time or rest or yeah. vacation. And we talk about like how you can go on vacation and not feel rested is you're still doing stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not the same in getting mm -hmm. out of your work routines. And I'm, there's all kinds of other side benefits, but it's not at its core. Yeah. You're still rest. striving. You're still striving. And so the, the ability, and I think that's what Joe was like, you know, the first part is because he's hammering and trying to fix yeah. the roof and everything. And he's saying, stop. Yeah finding ways to fill your day so you don't have to think about, mm -hmm. you know, your hearing loss, or you don't have to think about Lou or all that. And then there's just that, that piece of like, in that quietness and stillness and when you can not be in a place where you're striving, like if you can actually stop, then things can settle and you can have an honest examination of your heart. And again, from a Christian perspective, that's where you, you can hear yeah. the Holy Spirit. You can hear, it, it's not just about, because the striving is the blinders to kind of go back to Ian's language. Like and when we're striving, it's like we set our affections on something and then the blinders come in about going about achieving it. And we can't see beyond that. And we're unwilling to see beyond that because it seems extraneous. It seems unimportant because what's important is achieving the thing that I've set in front of us or me. And um, I think it's important as a discipline because if you can't do that, then something's very wrong. Mm. And so I think that the ability, I guess the third thread would be, it's what you were getting at, Ian. Like, I think it's just humbling. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because if you honestly can sit and be still, you do. You realize not just how small you are, but you realize how utterly powerless you are. Yeah. 
and it's that illusion. Sometimes motion and striving, it's an illusion. Like you were saying, Ian, how we, we so easily trick ourselves. It's like we substitute motion and achievement. And, you know, if it's a 15 step plan, if we get to step one or two, it's like, I'm controlling this. I'm, I'm getting something done. I'm getting closer to my goal and this is working. Look at me, you know, and it's that, that cycle. And when we can step back from that and genuinely be still, I think in a way that that's nourishing to our souls, we feel small and powerless. And then we're allowed to kind of see a little bit outside of ourselves because the, the blinders go down. And so kind of what you're saying, your mind can go in weird places or wherever. Like it's just healthy. I mm-hmm. think to, to think and, and dream and, and just be in a space now, you can't be there 24 seven. We yeah. are created to, to strive. Like, there's a healthy striving, right. but I think striving without genuine rest or striving without like stillness is ultimately, I think that's what Pascal is getting at is ultimately the root of a lot of bad unchecked things. And yeah. stillness is just not an attribute that's celebrated. It's not right. championed. People no. will champion rest. People will champion break, yeah. but they won't champion stillness because it's a new, I think they, it's easy to confuse yeah. stillness and rest. And I think it's why this movie hits such a high register for me. Cause I think this movie is really about isolating what is stillness and then putting a spotlight on it and not just being content with like a murky, you know, self-definition or you just have to, you know, check out of the frenetic pace of life and just kind of heal in like a generic sense. Like it really isolates stillness and the value of stillness. Yeah. There's this great like Christian idea of like the, like an upside down kingdom. Like the Mm -hmm. first shall be last, the last shall be first. And what you were saying, Tim, what you were saying, Ian, about the like, it, 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 it's counterintuitive at first because it's like, I have so much to do and there, there's right. such a, a rich world out there that like, we, like you're saying, like when you're going camping, you're like, I'm going to be disconnected from this rich, mm-hmm. incredible world where mm-hmm. all these things are happening and how is this going to be fun to go separate myself from all of that and, and just be in, like still in nature? It feels like my choices are going to be diminished down to significantly fewer mm-hmm. things to do and think about. You won't know what recruits are getting committed. I won't know what Arch Manning is doing. <laughs> Got it in there, Ian. <laughs> At every point of the day. <laughs> At every point of the day. That's important though, you yeah. know. Um, but it's in those moments, like where you're saying, you, you find this like richness that God has created mm-hmm. and it's it's grander and richer than than anything that man creates mm-hmm. and, and comes up with. And it's, it's expansive and it's incredible and it just the smells and the the colors and lights and the thoughts that are the richness within the richness of your fellow man and and humans that that, like you know some of my hardest laughs have been with friends sitting around Mm. a campfire like you know i've laughed harder than i have watching a a professional comedian telling jokes that he's crafted and and spent time on and, and they're good and they're funny but that was just because we went camping together. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Ian has some good pen yeah, jokes. I, mean, I, I got some pretty good jokes too. I mean, Ian's like camping trip come up. He starts writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, like it is, it's, it's like this upside down kingdom. And, and you find like when you, when you lay down striving, mm-hmm. 
and you sit still and quiet, you, you do, you find that right. richness. Because it doesn't rise and fall on you right. and what you produce and what you can bend to your will. Like in letting that go, it gives you the freedom to be still. Because right. you don't, the world's not going to come crashing down if you're still. And that's the lie, mm-hmm. I think, that the mm-hmm. world wants us to believe of like, you got to make it happen. You got to get out there. You got to hustle. You got to do, you got to plan and plot and achieve or else no one's going to do it for you. And that like, it's it's subtle, but it's, there's a freedom in being small and trusting and like a mm-hmm. sovereign guy, you know, from a Christian perspective that allows for stillness. Well, and also that's not necessarily false what you just said of like you probably if you don't try really hard you probably aren't gonna make as much money you're probably not gonna get you know as many people to recognize you or as you know as much of a following or whatever like that's probably true but again it's like this movie where yeah you won't get those things but maybe those things aren't what you actually want like maybe there's something better than having those things which is it, it does. It paints that picture pretty well. The, yeah. movie, the movie does that well. Okay. Yeah. We're getting some movement uh-huh. on Ian. Yeah, okay. yeah, I, yeah it, it does it well. And I will fully admit that. Because I think to kind of continue that idea, though, like you can want the right thing for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And I think you can strive and go after it for the wrong reasons. And it might be a good and perfectly worthwhile thing but it's still going to lead to exhaustion or lead to just brokenness in, in some way, shape or form and in varying degrees. But and that's why I think stillness, like if you can be alone with yourself and your thoughts and then, you know, from a Christian perspective, commune with God just without having to, you know, like that doesn't drive you insane. Like that's a place that you can, like our Christian words for that's idolatry, right? Like, like in this movie, right? It's this textbook case of, um, of, of Ruben idolizing the relationship of Lou. And so it yeah, sets him they, up. That's what's giving him purpose and meaning. And he has got the blinders on and he's striving after that. And so is necessarily that relationship wrong or bad? And like, no, like, yeah. it'd be, like, idol, it's almost the definition of, of good things that become ultimate things. Mm-hmm. And that's become ultimate in his mind. And I think it's, he gets there eventually. That's what's cool about how yeah. life works. Like you can take the short way or the long <laughs> way, but you tend to reach mm-hmm. the right result or, you know, God works things in, in lots of different ways. But, you know, th- there could have been some pain spirit along the way that if he had been able to be still and stay in that stillness and reach some conclusions or, or you know, and you can fill in gaps. But when we can pursue things and strive, but from a non-idolatrous place where things are ultimate, things confer meaning, but you can con- do them because you're called to them or because they're just good, but not ultimate, then a lot of, you know, that's right. That's the, we're human. So, you know, I'm not saying, oh, it's easy, but I think that's the upside of what true stillness like affords and helps navigate some of the chaos of life and the chaos of like the human heart. Yeah. It's interesting in the movie. I feel like instead of idols, they use the language of addiction because like whenever they're talking in that really pivotal scene right after he gets right after Ruben gets the surgery, Joe says, you're talking like an addict right now, but he's not talking about heroin. He's not talking about drugs or drinking or anything. He's talking about just this insatiable appetite for this one single thing. And he, through that addiction and through that addiction um, and those actions of like the way that he's thinking is kind of this like addict thinking because it's so just one single track and he's not able to see anything else. He's not able to see the good relationships that he's made and 
the the yeah, just all the good stuff that he has going there. Um, and just as as you guys were talking, I kept thinking about just like the way that we travel, and the faster you travel, you get somewhere quicker, but. It, everything gets blurry. So if you're like in a car, you really have to focus on traveling and you kind of have to focus on where you're going. And if you're on a bike, it's like you have to pay more attention, but you can also, you can like smell things. You can, you know, mm-hmm. you can kind of hear things. And then if you're walking, it's like you don't get somewhere very quickly, but you really have a lot of time. You have time to engage with the people that are around you. You, you really can see everything that's happening around you. And there are different there are different um, circumstances and they're, you know, those are all tools and they can be used in different ways. And like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of the ways that we use technology and everything. Those are, you know, we can use them for different things and like to accelerate specific things or like keeping in touch with people or whatever. There are good things about it, obviously, but I do think it's just, it's good to know, like, you don't always want to be in a car. You don't always want to be traveling that fast because things get blurry. You can't mm-hmm. pay attention to what's going on around you and you don't even notice it because mm-hmm. it just, you pass by things so fast. And I think, it, yeah, this is what we've been saying of it's just good to slow down sometimes. And I think we just really need it, mm-hmm. but it's easy to not. And, and you also are, you're getting somewhere by not slowing down, mm-hmm. but it's just the idea of like, is that actually where you want to be going? Mm-hmm. Which is a good question. It's a very good question. Where do you actually want to be going? <laughs> Think about that, listeners. <laughs> Support us on Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely where you want to go. Yeah, I know. You want to go to... <laughs> to the bank. The, yeah. If Ian was Joe, he'd be... <laughs> yeah. Not the donut and coffee. He'd be saying, go to the Patreon link. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, that's a, yeah, that, that's a good fleshed out, like, that's what Joe, I think, is getting at with, with his task. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, he, he resists and then has this encounter with the slide, you know, the kid in the slide, and then starts to engage and then accesses the computer, sees what, what Lou's up to, and then disengages, gets the surgery, sells the Airstream, gets the surgery, and then comes back. And so we had talked earlier about this pivotal scene. I, I think there's a lot in there. And I just wanted to maybe just camp out because I think it's a really powerful scene because you see where Ruben is. He's really taken this like almost, it's basically the next to last step in his plan, right? Like it was, he has to separate um, from Lou, but he needs to be in this group to stay clean. And then he needs to somehow get the money that he needs to get the surgery. And then the surgery is going to fix everything. And then he's going to reunite with Lou and get back to his life doing music. So he's checked off every step along the way. And then he's healing from the surgery. He needs a little bit of time, I guess three or four weeks before whatever the other part of the, the, I don't even know the medical term, but the, the box thing on his ear. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, so he's in this, he, he just needs this. And even though he, he went back, you know, he, he started disengaging. I think the breakthroughs he felt as far as his affection for Joe, his affection for the community, like those things didn't go away. They didn't go cold. He just, the blinders came back on. And so he's coming back and he wants to sit with Joe. And I think he's coming to Joe from this like warm like, hey, we had a moment here. We, we, you know, had some real things here and trying to 
engage him maybe on that level. And we know Joe has warmth towards Ruben, but it doesn't go the way I think Ruben wants. And so let's just like, what's going on there, maybe from Joe's perspective and then Ruben's perspective and like why, why things went the way they did. Yeah, I think from Joe Joe's perspective, I don't know if he necessarily would have seen this coming, but I do think it's definitely not what he hoped for. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 wanted Ruben, and I think probably what was best for Ruben was just to stay. And well, I don't know though. It's hard because I do think that Joe knows enough and has enough experience that he might just know that this has to be a step that Ruben is going to take and that he has to take, you know, and kind of like you were saying, Aaron, of respecting the process or giving the dignity of the process. So I I don't even know if Joe is, I I think he might just know that it's just part of the process and maybe to some degree he wishes that Ruben had already accepted that, you know, and already moved on. But at the same time, like it, it wouldn't really be real if he didn't have some sort of closure with Lou. I think he needs that. So maybe it could happen in a, in a different way. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I think Joe is, I, I really like the way that he handles himself in this scene. And he, it's just everything that we've been talking about him the whole time. Like he's very, he's very loving and he's very compassionate, but he is also extremely assertive here. And he says exactly what he means. He's very clear and he doesn't do it in this like overreaching or, Uh, manipulative way but he just says exactly yeah he's just very clear and he sets very clear boundaries um and I think it's hard for Ruben to hear that I think it's very hard for Ruben to hear that Ruben kind of shuts down once he does hear that and and he just said you know he's just like okay cool yeah like that's totally fine but he is you know he's feeling rejection he's feeling like this is helping like this is something that I want this is good why aren't you helping me um, but Joe knows that what he's doing is ultimately for the best of drawing those lines. And, and so I think it's just one of those times where it's just a hard conversation and it's something that needed to happen, but the way that it happens is going to cause some pain. Cause I don't, I think Joe is, and it shows him, if I'm remembering correctly, it shows after Ruben leaves you see Joe and he kind of has this moment of like, man, just like, yeah, just, you can kind of tell there's a little bit of pain and, and cause he doesn't know. I mean, he's seen people before he has experience, but ultimately you don't know. So that might be the last time he ever sees Ruben, you know, and you, you never actually see him and Ruben interact again after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you kind of assume that Ruben goes back, but yeah, I, I don't know. So it's just this hard scene of something that needs to happen. And and you respect Joe for following through with that. Um, but you also see that it affects him. And mm-hmm. and that's, yeah, it's just, re- it's real life of sometimes the doing the best thing for somebody is hard and they're going to take it in a hard way and maybe not in a loving way. What'd you see, Aaron? I'm wondering if Joe made the message board post. <laughs> I think the username was yeah. Joe Recovery Guy 18. <laughs> no, I, I think that was a good description of Joe. And I was thinking of like Ruben. I think his perspective is it still is that what you're saying, Tim, like the when when good things become ultimate things. And I think Ruben has been healing. Um, he's been learning to sit. He's been learning to to, to stare hard things in the eye, to to heal, to deal with them. But I don't think he's arrived at that like 
a similar idea that we have good things becoming ultimate things is like this idea of like disordered loves. Mm -hmm. And I still don't think that he has realized that his, his love, his, his desperation for like the music, the connection to um, Lou has become like disordered or kind of like wrong sized in his heart and mind. Um, I think you think like he's making significant connections, but he's Mm -hmm. still, um, he doesn't seem, he doesn't like value them as much as he does the, mm-hmm. which is understandable in some ways. They've had this relationship mm-hmm. and they've been right, four yeah. years. And so I get that. Um, but, it, and it is, it's very human. Like mm-hmm. he's in the middle of a process. So it's very, it's totally normal and understandable that he doesn't fully grasp, you know, his healing and, and his relationship to Lou. But then like you were saying, Ian, like the dignity of the process, like I'm sure a part of Joe knew Ruben was going to need that moment to, to go back to her and realize some of the things that he realizes, um, why, the, why they were part of why they were together. Part of why they connected, um, was good. And part of it probably would have stunted their emotional growth and healing if they had just continued in relationship together. And, um, sometimes it's like you're saying, Tim, like you have to taste those things personally like it's some some of those things someone can't just explain it to you and mm-hmm. you're like okay i believe that and yeah. I, I trust that and you know sometimes someone does have to go through it mm-hmm. to understand it yeah and i think he needed to make that decision uh, he needed to go see lou and then he needed to make that decision mm-hmm. that they you know that they shouldn't be together mm-hmm. yeah i i love this scene so much i i think whenever i watch it i watch it and then rewind it and watch it again it, like I find it such an interesting exploration, almost like uh, if Diedrich Bonhoeffer was alive today, <laughs> he would like pluck this scene to like, and he's like teaching on, on community because fundamentally at the heart of this scene is Ruben is approaching. He, he has this like warm, like he, he does. He feels like he had some breakthroughs and some bonding with Joe. Um, and, I think from, because Ruben has these blinders on and he is really one or two steps away from getting like what he's desiring and chasing after. There's a part of him that's like, okay, I know you're against the surgery. I I get that. I respect that. But like you, this guy loves me. This guy cares about me. Mm -hmm. I, you might not approve of it, but I did what I did, but he gets it. Like I'm a musician. I'm, you know, this is like, you know, he can respect it, even if he doesn't approve of it. And if you love me, you want good things for me. This is, I made the decision that this is a good thing for me. And so from his perspective, from Ruben's perspective, it's not a hard ask, or I think he is surprised, maybe not the money, right? He is asking for a lot lot of money. money, But (laughs) but the ability to like stay there, I think he doesn't think is a hard ask. Yeah. And I think he's expecting maybe a little awkwardness at first, yeah. but the, you know, cause it's done and yeah. bygones be bygones. Like we still care about each other and ultimately I'm doing what I have to do and you're going to be happy for me cause I'm this close to like restoring my life. Yeah. That's his dial back. That's he's like, he's di- like, okay, maybe the money was crazy, right. but mm-hmm. you'll let me stay here yeah. for four weeks. Right. Like, yeah. And I think even because, um, 
we hadn't actually touched that, but like the beginning when it's like, I don't have money for this program. And he's just like, the church has got it. And you're like, ah, I'm not religious. And the ch- like church is not about helping yeah. the religious. It's about helping people at need. Like yeah. I think in the back of his mind, and that's that addict behavior of like, yeah. it's not that Joe himself is going to write a check, but Joe has access yeah. to good, you know, people with money or people who are, you know, trying to mm-hmm. help people. Um, but anyway, I think from Joe's perspective, and this is part where I was saying earlier, I identified with Joe, like he's not, I think he has personal feelings and warmth towards Ruben, but he's also the guardian of a community mm-hmm. and a community. This is what I mean by like Bonhoeffer, like a community has to exist for external reasons. It's not just this club of people who agree to be nice to each other. Like that community has no core. And so this particular community is built around recovery and it's built around the the deaf community. And one of the core unbreakable tenets of that community is that where deafness is not something that needs to be healed. This is who we are. It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. And we're learning to live with it, but we love each other in our deafness and we don't see it as a disability. And so when, when Ruben went and got the thing, it wasn't just, you know, potato, potato, or there's two different ways of attacking this thing. Like he went against a core thing. And so like in Christian circles, it's like if we have a Christian, like, like a Bible study or something, and then someone decided they weren't Christian anymore. They said, like, you can hang out, but you can't fundamentally be, you're no longer like enforcing or in the same community. Like you just, you don't believe a core tenant. It's just, that'd make you a bad person, but it means you're not in the same community in the same terms as you were before. And I think like we live in a place and a time where people are, for the most part, a common refrain you hear, people desire community, they're lonely, they want connection. But we also live in the most intensely individualistic like period in like human history in a lot of ways. Um, and people simultaneously want community, but they want community on their terms. And so they want a community that affirms and that supports every one of their emotions and desires and whatnot. And you see that, you know, not in like a flagrant, ugly way, in a very relatable way, but that's like Ruben's perspective. But Joe knows that community will crumble. That community, community can't, in community you can care and love for each other, but in order to, and this is the Bonhoeffer's thing, in order to have genuine mm-hmm. community, you have to die to yourself and you have to be for the community. You have to limit your freedoms. You have to limit who you are in certain ways for the good of the community, but it's about the community. And if everyone, it reminded me of uh, the Master Builders in the Lego movie. If you have a community where everyone is the special and everyone is mm-hmm. this Master Builder, everyone wants free reign to do yeah. exactly what they want, how they want to do it, when they want to do it, you don't have a community. Right. And like the right. message of that movie is like Emmett came and got them to sort of buy in and, you know, Benny not building his, his spaceship. It like, But you saw this like voluntary limitation of self for the community. Yeah. And Joe, what makes him such an attractive figure is a lot of leaders can mistake community for them. So they're the one. It ends up being like, you know, limit yourself for my benefit. But Joe takes himself out of it, and you can see it because I, 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 in, I think it's what you were talking about. You know, like I, I certainly felt it where it was almost like Joe, if it was up to him, would have let him stay 
I, and I think that Joe is softer, but Joe is so much about the community and not just him. And he knows how devastating, like not holding the line on this would be to the broader community. He has no choice as the leader and as the one who's tasked with kind of enforcing and overseeing and protecting the community, he has to hold that line. And so there's a personal cost to leadership. There's a personal cost to, you know, because mm -hmm. Ruben's not slinking away thinking, oh, well, it's the community. He's thinking Joe's a jerk or Joe's me. Like, why can't Joe just be human? Why? And you know what? Joe didn't love me after all, you know, mm -hmm. and Joe's going to, you know, in those scenarios, people like that are going to take a lot of heat, but he's doing it in love for Ruben and he's doing it in love for the community. So he's actually kind of taking on the bad guy thing or mm -hmm. he's taking the heat for the good of the community and for the good of uh, Ruben ultimately. And then, cause by enforcing like it's making Ruben grapple with that. Right. And I think you see that all the way at the end of the movie. It's like he goes down his road and sees the futility of it. And I think by holding that line, I think it's a, a path back. And it's kind of an interesting question. Like where does Ruben go? Like, from Paris, mm -hmm. you know, and I do, I think he goes back there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's not a hard call, right? right? Yeah. And I think Joe opens it with welcome arms and I sure. actually wrote it down cause it's a subtle use of language. But um, when he asked, uh, he says, being deaf is not something to fix uh, community, or I guess I'm shorthanding it, but community built around that belief and trust. When that trust is violated, things happen, too many others to consider. And then this is the part I, I underlined. He's telling Ruben in your, current state at this time right yeah you need to pack your bags and leave it's mm. not a forever thing it's yeah. not you got the surgery you are dead to me forever you've made this like mistake that can never be cured but he's saying where your head's at now you're not a healthy part of this community and it's not that you have to be like perfect like it, it, you know like it's all about hurting people but you have to limit yourself. You have to buy in. The community stands for something. You have to buy in. It's not your terms. You, no one individual gets to define it. You buy in. You're not bought in right now, so you can't be part of this community as much as it kills me to say it. And then I think that's, it's, you know, it's extrapolation, but I think that's also what pulls Ruben back when he has his epiphany at the end. That's, I love that scene for like all these reasons mm -hmm. I just say. Yeah, no, it is. Wait, you're saying what pulls him back? I think holding that line and making oh, a community yeah, that yeah. means something, <laughs> yeah, it yeah, drives yeah. Ruben away, mm -hmm. but I think it's also beckoning him back because underneath it all, we want to submit to something good and something bigger than ourselves. And I think that's what makes community attractive, but we also want community that conforms to our every whim because <laughs> that yeah. weak side of us wants that. And again, yeah. that's, that's Bonhoeffer's thing. And right. that's what makes community so hard. You have to shatter your ideal of it in order to be able to genuinely enter into it as a community of broken people. But it has to be outside of any one individual, the, the, the definition mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, that's absolutely a, a Christian distinctive. And it's one of like the great like yada yadas of yeah. our culture because we say like, we, we, we view people as like these incredible individuals and like everyone has this right to, to be them and and to pursue that to the to the end of you know wherever that may be, but that inevitably like results in conflict because people pursuing things there's always like there's always going to come times where like what I want comes in conflict with what right. you want, and we're just kind of like well that's not cool and like yeah. we we pick like oh well, I think this person's right and this person's right. wrong and other people might think well this one's right and this one's wrong, 
but then people are no longer free to to be the, to be you and be mm-hmm. themselves and um that happens in like dramatic ways but it happens in like small kind of everyday mm-hmm. ways too and we there's like a a lot like a logical like incoherence to that that like it's kind of like what we're talking about like if you actually sit and think about it like this doesn't really make sense but because we're all constantly striving right, we, yeah. we just agree that it yeah. makes sense mm-hmm. and it really doesn't but it's like one of the like I said, it's a Christian distinctive that you do to be part of this community. You do have to die to yourself. Like you are free, but you limit your freedoms out of love for your brother because there's ways that like I might be totally free, but it might harm my brother. And so mm-hmm. I choose to limit myself. I'm not like constrained to limit myself. Mm-hmm. Or it's not that I'm not free, but like my greatest desire, my greatest love is for the good of my brother. And so because I want to see his flourishing and his good, I will limit myself in these ways. And that actually brings me more joy and more um, just kind of fulfillment and satisfaction than just kind of being on this solo journey of just pursuing, you know, my greatest desires Mm -hmm. and wants. And you see, um, it's like the first time in the movie when you see Ruben at peace. It's at the end of the movie. He has finally absorbed and internalized this core tenet of the, the deaf community um, Joe leads that deafness is not a problem. It's actually, there's actually beautiful things to it mm-hmm. as well. And if you only see it as a problem, uh, that's just, they just don't see it. It's, they don't agree with that. And he finally sees, because he's in Paris, Ruben's in Paris, and it's like the party's loud and distorted. And you can just see that like hearing is now a problem. Mm-hmm. And he, it finally kind of hits him. He takes off the hearing devices and it's silent. And he's just at peace and he's like, wow, the, the world has in that moment for Ruben has actually become more beautiful mm-hmm. than it was with the hearing device. Yeah, that scene, whenever he takes them off and the way that they do the sound the, and just mm-hmm. the way that it completely drops out, which mm-hmm. it almost never does in movies. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's beautiful. Like it's mm-hmm. very well done. Yeah, and he had and to die to it's himself. Moving. Yeah. But he found something richer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because that's coming off of like... <clears throat> You know, we talked about our way at the beginning with the where he ends the relationship, right? And and because it is, it's not a fight. It's not this grand reckoning yeah. of irreconcilable differences. Like, and in fact, she's the one who's, you know, it's like like they're like you know, kind of kissing and whatever, and then she kind of gets the glass of water, and he's just he can tell yeah. there's just something off with her. She's not right. like all the way into it. Yeah. She's, but she's trying, not, she's but, trying yeah. and it's not, it's a subtle thing. And then he slows down. And then, so he starts asking her and then they, you know, are, are trying to just connect and he starts talking about getting back on the road. And that's when she starts scratching and he just unilaterally in a yeah. gentle way makes the call of like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. Like, I'm actually hurting her. And if yeah. I love her, I have to. Like, For her she, good and her flourish. Right. And yeah. it mirrors what the dad, because the dad yeah. was like, at first I didn't like you. Yeah. And then I realized essentially mm-hmm. you were a place where she found healing. Right. And all these months, like, because the dad sees how she's progressed a, mm-hmm. a lot, you know, and you see it in the party because it's like this different world. It's not punk rock. Yeah. And then she's singing in French <laughs> and her composer dad with this very not punk rock song. Yeah. And you know, you can tell she just doesn't like love it, but sure. she's also doing it and, yeah. and she like fits in. 
and his ear implant, it's chaos. Like yeah. he is, and it, so it's isolating him and he's like on the outskirts of this thing and he's not in that world and he sees yeah. her being maybe more herself and not the version of herself that in pain is driven to punk. Not that you have to be in pain to be in punk rock, <laughs> but for her, it's like, I mean. it's where she's like expressing her emotions yeah, through right. her music, but it's like, it's in a place of pain. And um, it's like all of that crystallizes for him mm -hmm. and he sees it and he basically like, let's go. Like that's a massive, for where he was in the journey in this movie, that is a massive, yep. massive breakthrough. And then like on the heels of that, it's such a great, this is like definitely in my pantheon of best endings. Um, yeah, it is, and I, I even like ending, wrote yeah. down the sequence. It's um, the final scene, he's walking down the street and you hear the distorted obnoxious sounds. And then he looks to the church and he sees the steeple yeah. and it's the bells ringing and it's part of the chaos. And then he uh, unplugs the implants and then there's silence. And he looks back at the church and the camera cuts to that. And he looks back to the street where those kids are like playing over the skateboard or whatever, but it's silent. Mm -hmm. And then he looks up and he sees the sun in the trees. It almost evokes God, right? Yeah. It's, it's very like just nature and sun and the camera lingers yeah. there. And then it goes back to Ruben and you see this serene mm -hmm. look of acceptance and it lingers. Yeah. It's like, mm -hmm. a, it's, you're used to like movie where it's, it's like, like an extra beat. One or two yeah. Mississippis. Yeah. It's an extra, like yeah. even a couple of beats, yeah. I would say. Yeah. To where it's almost uncomfortable. And right. it's like that stillness. Like you, you right. stay to where it's yeah. like uncomfortable. And it's like they this closing really well. statement yeah. without yeah. any words mm. befitting a deaf person. Right. It's silence and stillness. And you see him and he's not uncomfortable. Yeah. He's not trying to go. He's not striving. He's in the moment comfortable in his own skin. And it's just, that's how you end a movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I don't know the filmmaker's intent with that scene like all like but like church bells are typically a call to worship yeah and you hear the church bells and then that's when he takes the the hearing devices off and he's essentially worshiping i mean he, he's looking up like you said it evokes god like he's looking up at the sky it leaves he's serene he's peaceful like and I, like i said I, I don't know if that's their intent but it's the first time i saw this movie i was so excited because I was a hundred percent convinced he was a Christian. Just the stuff at the beginning sure, around yeah. you know, what I read a little while ago right. and then this ending and the church bells and yeah. the sun and everything. And I went on like a wild goose. I tried everything I could <laughs> yeah, to unearth information and the best I could tell was probably not, but yeah. nothing definitive. Sure. It certainly I don't think was written yeah. in a way that was like trying to do right. that. But man, sometimes truth shines through no matter what. But right. some of those were just very, in, like, why a church steeple? Why? But it, it just, I don't know. Like, again, you even know. Even Joe's statement, I don't remember the exact quote, but he's describing stillness yeah. to Reuben. And Joe tells him, stillness is where I find the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. It's an odd line. It's a very odd line. Like, why include the kingdom of God if you're not a Christian, if you're not kind of trying to... So I think... I don't know. <laughs> it definitely has connections and he is, yeah, he, it's in there. It's yeah, just, so that place why? will never abandon you. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard to say why, or like it's hard to say where the director is coming from, but there, I feel like there are definitely hints towards that. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think maybe just even staying true to reality to some degree of like, 
a lot of that is like the the type of guy that Joe is and the type of community sure. that they have. A lot of that, like churches probably would be a part of that. And I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are places like that that aren't, that are secular, but yeah. I think, yeah, part of it is maybe just kind of staying true to that. And religion is a, a powerful device in mm-hmm. art. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Even for the sure. non-believer, sure. it's, it's mm-hmm. used, it's drawn upon. Um, well, just, yeah. Just even if just a kind of point to some version right. of transcendence. Right. Yeah. Which is that he does reach at the end and it, mm-hmm. it is this long arc and you see this this big story of him coming to that point and you see so much of all the work and all the pain and all the sacrifice that it took to get there which makes the that last scene so yeah so much better so now tell us all the reasons you don't like it <laughs> now that we've laid out all the brilliance. Yeah, and- I was singing. I should have like peppered them in as we were <laughs> talking. It just, it just kind make of everyone like, hate you. I, well, I just I kind of brought them up like yeah. in the flow of it. We fucked um, the snare and now we yeah. sing the trap. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think it does all those things really well. Like I think the second time there were things that were bugging me the first time and I think they were just distracting and I think the second time I was able to really see all of that stuff and appreciate it for what it was. Um, and I, I don't have to go through all of them. I think probably people wouldn't be that <laughs> interested in it, honestly. But drumming form off? Yeah, well, honestly, that was part of it is like, <laughs> you're, you're asking me to believe this guy's entire life is drumming. And then he basically, it's not that he doesn't drum at all, but it's like, what you see of him is like not it's it'd be like this this guy his entire life is guitar and then you see him play like two very basic chords it's like what wow. I, I well maybe we should ask someone who plays drums <laughs> what they think about oh, the drumming wow. actually i don't know if you know this Aaron but <laughs> i in fact do play drums no, but I think that it it sounds like trite, but I think it's telling and, and it felt a lot of the movie or maybe not a lot of it, but there were specific things like that that felt a little contrived and a little like a little ham-fisted and maybe just not quite as bought into like the idea of like building scene. the world. Okay, I can give specifics. So, I wholeheartedly reject everything you're saying, so I need specifics. <laughs> well, okay, so one, like another drumming movie, right, is Whiplash, obviously. <laughs> And in Whiplash, they took the time. The guy didn't learn all the drums, but he learned enough so that they could make it look like he knew how to play the drums. And that it's not a drumming movie, and this isn't a movie about drumming. But to tell a story well, I think it is distracting to do art, to do your art well, and to take your craft seriously. I think, and to to really get at the deeper themes, I think you can't shortcut it. And I think part of that is just paying attention to the details. So to me, that's a detail. It's like, well, this guy is supposed to, his entire life is drumming and he, you never actually see him. You see him playing drums, but you don't see him like doing, like actually playing drums. So if they just never, you never saw him on stage, it's like, okay, sure. But you see him like supposedly playing a show, but he doesn't actually play anything. And to me, that's like, it's a lack of craft. It's a lack of like level of detail. And okay, so I have so wait, more wait, wait, here. No, 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 no. What? I, I just trying to understand. So you're telling that the guy who literally got implants in his ears to block his hearing wasn't committed enough to learn drumming? I Yeah, I mean. I think he I think did so. learn drumming. I think and- I read that he... He did learn drumming, but maybe he's just not naturally a good drummer. I or think maybe, he might not be. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm the least musically advanced of the three of us by far, so take that with a grain of salt. But 
I, in seventh grade, I had to take a music <laughs> as part of school and I didn't want to do chorus. And so I, I took guitar and my entire year long class was taught through Beatles songs and Kenny Rogers. And like, I just <laughs> learned Beatles songs and it's like Eleanor Rigby is like, then it's just whatever. It's three chords over yeah. and over. And it's the Beatles. People would like, yeah. like mob you if you suggest that it's not musical greatness or whatever. So is it at least possible? <laughs> Ian is suggesting that. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe they're metal drumming. Like it's not an exhibition of like advanced drumming technique. Maybe the song just called like the Beatles called for like three or four chords. Maybe their metal song and drumming was just not trying to be complex in that. I mean, it's it's hard because you could do that, but with a two person band, he <laughs> has to do some stuff. Like he, he has to carry but some. They're weight. not a successful band. Yeah, <laughs> you don't see them being lucrative, or maybe they're just a bad band. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but like for somebody to pour everything, I don't know. So, but the, the point is, the of the I knew, I knew that like That's that sticking point would be. But the, I do think, I think. Craft is really important. And I, and I also think with the idea of slowing down, it's like you kind of take for granted, like, okay, there's certain things that I can just do. But the thing is you have to focus on every detail to make something great. And you, and you can't take for granted the small things. And I, I look at the small things. So anyways, that's one thing But like, and I think just a lot of like the, like whenever that very pivotal scene, whenever he's interacting with Joe, they're talking, right? And like, I get it, but in real life, they wouldn't be talking. The whole point is like, they're having this, they, they should be doing it through sign language, right? Like all of it should be through sign language, but it's not. And so like, there's just, there's little tweaks and like the way, um, yeah, like just the way that the implants work and like how surprised he is. I mean, like he's so against it, but then like, he doesn't try to make it work at all like to me that just it feels a little contrived and, and there's small things of like how does he get there like how does he get back like there's small things and like I I don't know I care a lot about art like in general the art and like the craft of mostly I, I feel like I know more about literature and not that I know a ton to any degree but I do hold like the craft to, I just enjoy seeing it and I enjoy seeing people who do it well. And there are movies that it feels like they thought about every single thing and everything fits. And if you watch every scene, it all works together towards this bigger message. And I feel like they had this bigger message. They did it well. Like they had these things that they wanted to say, and I think they were compelling, but I think they took like a few shortcuts and that distract, I mean, honestly, I'm not just trying to be like a contrarian here. The first time I watched it, it distracted me because I was like, wait, like, yeah, you're saying all this stuff, but like the way that you're saying it doesn't make any sense. And so for me as a viewer, as somebody who does pay attention and who does hold things to high standards, it took away from the message because I didn't feel like they were doing it in like a... I don't know, just not in a fully comprehensive way, which is fine, but it did take away from the message for me well, a little bit. I think it's possible that like they filmed it multiple ways. Like, I don't know this, but like you're saying, like they're having a conversation and it should be in sign. Right. And maybe they filmed that way and it just didn't work or it didn't work. Yeah. And it could be. And yeah. Me, it's like, right. It's like if you're painting something and you're trying to show perspective 
you're like, this apple in the foreground is not literally bigger than a man's head, but because I'm trying to show something, I distort things, you know, I distort sizes, I distort shadows, shapes, colors. Sure, yeah. So, so that like in composite, mm-hmm. it creates a picture that actually makes sense. And I think like filmmaking has those kind of things too, where like you can you can depict things literally but sometimes it just doesn't like translate or work yeah, on film. No, that so, makes you, sense. so you have to like distort certain aspects to make it to, to make it work. Yeah. Like in a scene. I get Ian that, wants yeah. like movies where there's just forty five minute gaps in the film where they're driving from point A to point B. Because you real can't time. just cut and have it be like <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean it's just I, I do think I think that there's a way of trying to sit in judgment over something like I think a lot of those things. I don't need you guys to agree with me on this. No, just I know, but I think it's just like totally from a, a, a perspective. Like some stuff, <laughs> if it's not part of the the overarching narrative or story, then like, like so it's like, how do you get like? Is it that much of a stretch that he got a ride to the airport? No, like, airplanes I mean, exist. He flew to France. Like, yeah, do they yeah. need to show a cut of him getting dropped off at the airport and buying a ticket and going? And- no, 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 it's not that part. It, it's like the because the place is remote, right? Like the place he's staying, mm-hmm. and then he like is going into town and like I, I don't want to argue about all of it because I'm not trying to argue. I'm just saying. For me as a viewer, it took it took away from the from the message. I'm and trying to be I'm the objective. Joe in your life and leading you yeah, to greater yeah, enjoyment I mean, and peace and not trying to yeah. find holes and You're work not hard. Suited for the podcast yeah. at this time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Please pack your bags. <laughs> I knew it wouldn't I knew you guys would not be on board with it. But I I think craft is important and I don't think you can just yeah. say, well, Hey, I'm saying this thing. We is also good. think craft is important. I just think there's such a thing as an extraneous detail that doesn't need to be like, you're trying to find holes that aren't there. You see it no, as a see, gap. I disagree. I saw them whenever I was first watching the movie and it took away from well, I'm not the saying movie. you don't see them. I'm saying yeah. you see imaginary holes. I mean that, that <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, maybe I don't think so. Fair enough. Fair but enough. yeah, we don't need to argue. About it. <laughs> it's fun to argue. <laughs> Any other uh, thoughts or should we move on? Let's move on. Let's yeah. uh, all right. Let's rate it. Let's rate. What are we? Uh, I feel like this is your department, Aaron. How many spinach smoothies <laughs> out of five? Out of five spinach smoothies. I was kind of hoping for clown back, blood back yeah. clown tattoos. Yeah. We could do clown <laughs> back that would tattoos. Be pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Go ahead. Ian. You okay. Can, like, trips to the off. airport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trips to the airport. <laughs> Good drumming scenes. There aren't any in this Next. movie. Yeah. Uh, I think I would give it four to five. I think you guys talked me up from a four because I, I do think it did a, a lot of stuff really well, but I think you have to grade it on what it's trying to be. And I think it's trying to do a lot. And uh, like you were saying, there's this guy's first, like his debut. I think it shows a little bit. I, if That's my take on it is that I think it's just, He's lacking a few things, but I think like all this stuff is there. Like, and he and he does a lot really well, but I think he's missing a little bit. So I go four two five. I think the message is there, but I do think like the details, you know. And he and if this is his first movie, it's like I'm sure he'll get better. Like I'm sure that his craft will improve. But 
That's just just one man's opinion. He's like uh, Ant and Ego in Ratatouille when he's like <laughs> burned out and just crapping all over everything. Someone needs to serve Ian some Ratatouille yeah. and he can like go back to his childhood and remember why he likes movies. That's what I think. No. You know what Ian wants in a movie? Perspective. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Nothing more. No more, no less. Yeah. Just perspective. Fresh and hot perspective. <laughs> no, uh... I actually kind of agree with the Ian, not not for the reasons you're saying. <laughs> you got to create some distance yeah. when you say something I mean, like that. Well, but no, I I did like I did feel. It was like what you were saying with the name. Yeah, yeah. There was things like that that were just. I don't want to say odd choices. Just I do agree. I think there's a few things like that. It's like just make a better choice. Like. And so I really like the movie. I really like what it has to say. The performances are great for me. Um, but there was a few like odd things. Like the, the name is like kind of a silly example, but there was more like serious, like kind of craft things. Um, and I'm having trouble recalling any right now. Just some of like the, the sequencing of, of scenes and the order of the movie. And I think to me, it just felt a little rushed. Like if they had had more time, it's yeah. like you could have figured out a better name for him. Like you could have figured out better ways to tell this story. Yeah. And, and what you were saying, Tim, like how it's like somebody started writing it and then another, mm -hmm. like a, a partner. So they know each other and it's not like it was a stranger, but someone else finished it. And I didn't read the article, but it said something about like the fight <laughs> to get this movie made. And mm -hmm. so anyway, it just seems like it wasn't a smooth process. And um, to me, it doesn't like, I didn't find it distracting like you were saying, Ian, but it, it, I noticed it. And so I give it like a four and a half. I, that's, uh, we're smoothies. Yeah. Whatever we were. <laughs> yeah. Whatever we did. Well, I'll have you know, it's based on a true story of a drummer named, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he pulled back the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> He's been here not listening <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> That he just has, he has no idea what you said. That'd be really insulting to record a podcast with a deaf person there. It's like <laughs> exact medium they they can't interact with. Well, Aaron's been signing um, this whole time, like you yeah, said. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. That's true. That was very kind of you. Yeah. I violently disagree with both of you. <laughs> I think this movie is near flawless. Um, I have no issues with pacing name stuff is like whatever. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, even the idea that that guy should have it, like maybe his mom was, I don't know, or yeah, I don't know. Sure. It's stuff like that just didn't register with me. Um, I, I think from my perspective and, and I revere this movie because it's, it's, setting out to be a movie about stillness. Mm. And I defy you to name another movie that's primarily, other movies I think depict stillness or it can have moments of that. This movie is about the need, the search for, and the discovery of stillness, really. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, you know, using the, the, you know, hearing loss and all these other things as a, a canvas. But ultimately I would argue it's about stillness. And, I think that that's a tough thing to pull off. I yeah. think it's an audacious thing to even attempt. And I think it's pulled off very well. I like the subtlety in it. I like 
the fact that you learn some things at the beginning and then you mm-hmm. don't really make sense of them until the end. I think yeah. it's giving you just enough so you don't get lost in the narrative while withholding a lot. So it rewards thoughtful watching. And I think there's a lot there mm-hmm. if you want to find it there. And so I don't have any issues with sequencing or, or pacing. I think it's, um, I think uh, Riz Ahmed's performance is yeah. fantastic and, and Oscar, I, I wanted him to win. I was in his corner. Yeah, the I think acting is Joe's really performance well done, yeah. um, is is also top notch. And I guess maybe even just you know we all bring personal perspective or whatnot. But from my perspective, and this is like high high praise for me. But you know, just you know, being in church and, and wanting to help equip and train. You know, like I would use this movie if I was trying to teach. Uh, a class or something on idolatry. Mm, mm-hmm. I think this movie very deftly but clearly shows like what the process of idolatry is and especially around good things becoming ultimate things. And just watching that, I think I could have, you know, if I had people and I said, watch this movie and we can talk about it, I think I could take someone who was largely unfamiliar with the Christian concept and then through this movie, show them that and they would come out with like mm-hmm. a way better thing. And I think from like a small group leader trainer, I, I think that scene that we dissected with with Joe having to say no and enforce it, like I, I think that that is, in some ways Joe is what I would almost say is this embodiment of what an elder or a, a group leader should be. Mm-hmm. He's He loves his people. He's enforcing like in the best sense of the world and love uh, it's not about him. It's about a higher thing. He's inviting. He he brings people in. He's gentle. He gives dignity. He lets things unfold at their own pace. He is in touch with his own personal brokenness, um, but it's not about him. And he communicates forthrightly and, and just, uh, I feel like you could almost do like a 10 part attributes yeah. of a leader through Joe. Um, and if you had a church full of leaders and elders and, and small group leaders who depicted Joe and, and acted that way and, and kind of yeah. served in that way, I think you'd have a really healthy mm-hmm. church. And so I, I think the, those parts that like it really elevates the movie in, yeah. in my thing, if I, it's like high praise. If I can say I can mm-hmm. literally put this on a screen, come into a room, watch this with me and I can use this as a tool, mm-hmm. you know, I don't say that about a ton of movies. And so, I think for all those reasons, it's just, it was my favorite movie of that year. You know, I always say, I don't know, one of these days I'll get around to actually writing out like a top (laughs) 15 or 20 list of all time. But this movie would be in the conversation. Mm. I don't know exactly where I'd rank it, but I really see it in in that high of of a light. So it's, it's an easy five for me. Yeah, I agree with all that. And we didn't talk about it, but the part where Joe is he's telling Ruben to write, to sit in the room and write. Mm-hmm. He has this one line, he says, I'll be writing too. That's right. Mm, and that's so right. he's not above the process. Yep. He's not a guru. Mm. Kind of like what you're saying about this being a great depiction of a like a church leader. Yeah. Joe is right there with him yeah. saying like, I need to do this too. Right. I'm, I am I'm doing this. Struggling. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. For all the same reasons. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Well, recommendation time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'm assuming that I'm going first because yes. I always go first. Uh, I played. I had the last last black man in San Francisco. Ooh. I think that's. Uh, Did you watch that with me or was mm, that no? No, I watched it on a plane. Okay, but yeah, I think it just it has similar 
I love that movie. Yeah, I would like to watch it again. I it has well, it has kind of a similar vibe, honestly, of like the almost it's like kind of artsy, but not super artsy, but it has that sort of feel of like, can you hang with kind of a slow movie? So if you like this, I think you could you would like the vibe of it. But it also just has some of the same themes of like holding on to things in the past and not being able to let go. And then in whether or not you're seeing something that there that's real or is true it just has a protagonist that is has is very much like idealizing something and is looking at that and is basically basing their whole life around that so that's an excellent call i, I really think that's you. a strong recommendation Thanks. it's the only one i can think of so yeah no that's <laughs> but yeah the more i thought about it i actually i want to watch that movie again too honestly because um, and kind of the yeah, blinder, that concept of blinders so, yeah. and, and how like that, that single mindedness mm-hmm. can really, yeah, I yep. think that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch it again because I saw it on a plane the first time and I think I wasn't as fully engaged. I think somebody was watching a movie in front of me or something that was distracting <laughs> me a little bit, but, but yeah. So I think I, I genuinely think if you like this movie, you would probably like the last black man in San Francisco. I agree. Yeah. I don't like that. My problem with that movie, though, is um, there actually are other black people in San Francisco. <laughs> so, uh, a little bit, a little bit lazy with the title. Well done, but I, <laughs> I would be tipping a hat if I had it. That's that, that was fantastic. Oh Ian just handed us for every podcast from now on. Every yeah, you know, it's it's hard being right all the time and just having to suffer this that's, persecution. No, that's a good one. Um, my one of the things I really liked about this movie was I love movies with it's like humans with their back against the wall, kind of like and having like in very not in like dramatized or you know, not like I'm not talking like Jurassic Park. I, I do love Jurassic Park, <laughs> Jurassic Park's awesome. Yeah. Jurassic Park is great for its own reasons, but um, I like this, I guess, like flavor of that where it's like very real human experience, human back against the wall, trying to like fight their way and the way that it kind of shows like the messiness and the kind of like the fits and starts Mm -hmm. of of that um experience like it's very uh moving to me and and i i enjoy watching that um it's like the the brilliance of like humanity that that um you know we're made in god's image and we can we can overcome and i i I like that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. And so um, my recommendations are along those lines, if, if you also enjoy that. Um, it, uh, what came to mind was, this one is not necessarily overcoming, <laughs> after I just said all that. <laughs> but it is like the messiness and the, just, it's hard to be human. Yeah. And um, uh, it's uh, Strozik by uh, mm. it, Werner Herzog movie. Mm. It's like a 70s mm-hmm. um I really, it's one of, that's one of my favorite all time movies hmm. and, um, not so much a happy ending, but, <laughs> but it, it is, I think the beauty of, of human struggle and, and yeah. strive, it's striving. Yeah. Yeah. It is the same thing. Uh, he has a more like a darker view of human striving, but it's still exploring human hmm. striving. Hmm. And then my other movie, um, was, uh, Minari. Yeah. Okay. Which is very hmm. similar to Strozzi. To me, it's. It's a, yeah, I think if Strozik and um, Sound Sound of Metal metal had a baby, (laughs) 
a very well-tempered baby. Yeah, it'd be yeah. Minari. <laughs> Maybe we can do like a bonus podcast on movies having babies. With I, want, movies. Yeah. I want movie baby <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be pretty fun, actually. <laughs> uh, I'm going to freely admit to largely punting on this. Um, I just yeah. did a, a love letter to why I thought get rated this five smoothies. <laughs> grounded in large part by the uniqueness I think this movie is it just the featuring of stillness and, and all the things I said before um, so it's really hard for me to come up because I think the thing that I really loved about the movie I, I do find extremely unique and, and not really repeated elsewhere um, so that being said my, my escape hatch is in it's uh, the um, Martyr, the, the writer-director, and then Derek's uh, C. in France, who is the co-writer. It's usually the other way around, where C. in France is the director and the main mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. story former, and then Martyr is his, like, collaborator. Mm. This one was just a little reverse. But I just really like um, C. in France. Um, I, I think he's got a real strong eye for writing human relationships. Mm. And I do. I think this is a very, what Aaron, you're saying, it's a very human story and about the difficulty of being story uh, human and striving and still all those things. And so these movies are, are C in France movies. They're about human relationships, but they're not about striving or stillness or, or exactly what sound of metal is about. And so the, the two are um, the place beyond the pines, mm. which is mm. um, mostly kind of father sons and even some generational sin kind of things about that. And then my favorite of the two, and it's really not super similar to Sound of Metal, but Blue Valentine. Mm. I think I mentioned that a couple podcasts yeah, ago, but did, just yeah. really about the, in some ways, I think if, uh, if Lou and um, um, <laughs> Ruben, Ruben. <laughs> something about Ruben, man, uh, had they gotten married and then- Had a baby? Know, yeah. <laughs> Come on, and they would Saturday have the place Blue <laughs> But it's almost like if they didn't break up and if he didn't go deaf, <laughs> but they stayed in the music scene together. Mm. And then like five years after the events of this movie, it's almost like the couple in Blue Valentine. Mm. And it's really about real, you know, just kind of the, the breakup of, of that relationship and, and just the emotions and, and some of the micro fissures that end up getting pressed on and, and widening. And, uh, not an easy watch at all. <laughs> uh, I'll say that on the front end. Um, it's it's a difficult, just emotionally. It's it's very well and raw, well acted. It's uh, I think Gosling and Michelle Williams. But um, yeah, there's definitely a lot there uh, if you want to see it. So that's my sellout kind of punting <laughs> recommendations. I've but, been wanting to watch that place beyond the pines again. Yeah, it's been a long time since yeah. I've seen it. No, that's that's I like that one, but um, I guess that does it for for this week. We'll pick up again next week where we're gonna be, I guess, leaving planet Earth, going to the stars, blasting off, blasting off. I like it. See you next time. You flipping through the channels late at night, looking for a movie. Yeah, you're doing it right. Called up Tim. I called up Ian. I wanted to know. Which movie are we seeing? Cause some make you laugh and some make you cry. I wanna know, are your thoughts like mine?